Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Beautiful sunny day out there. Great Friday. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. I'm going to cover a lot of ground. We got great guests, but I'm going to start today with a story. I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, gosh, how long ago was it that I covered my very first football game? And I remember it was a preseason game, and it was a long, long time ago. It was 1984. Raiders were playing the 49ers at Candlestick Park. I was 13 years old. That's how long ago it was. Yes, it's, it's weird that I was covering a football game at age 13, but I had an unusual circumstance. My aunt, my mom's sister is a photographer named Nicole Benjavino. She was working at the time at the San Francisco Examiner newspaper. That's when the Examiner and the Chronicle were in this battle, head-to-head, both entities trying to beat each other, covering the Niners, the Raiders, the A's, the Giants, Stanford and Cal. And my Aunt Nicole offered one, uh, one football preseason for me to go to a game with her. I'd express some interest in being a journalist i'd express some interest i I, you know writing came naturally to me sports was one of my loves and i thought to myself you know i would love to maybe be a sports writer or whatnot you know and i was playing sports still but i still didn't know what it was didn't really know what a sports writer or a sports journalist did and so my aunt nicole who was a photographer at the examiner invited me to come up to san francisco the first week of august in 1984 in fact it was this weekend in fact it was Yesterday was the actual anniversary of this game that I covered, and uh, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't like have it on a calendar or anything. But it it just struck me uh, this morning as I woke up. I said, "Gosh, it was felt like it was about this time of year. We're starting to play preseason games in the NFL. Uh, it felt like it was the first week of the preseason in that season in 1984. I was 13 years old, as I mentioned, and my parents drove me." about an hour from our house where we lived in the South Bay area into the city of San Francisco. My aunt lived right on Market Street in San Francisco in a, in a little house that she had, and she was working at the Examiner, and, and uh, I had no idea what she really did. And she said, all right, I'm going to take you to the 49er game. And I remember wearing a short sleeve shirt, a pair of jeans, a pair of sneakers, and a windbreaker to the game. And in fact, I have a photograph of myself before the game. My hair, and yes, I had a full head of hair, is all nice, kind of feathered. Uh, my outfit is, is pristine. I look at it now and I laugh because I know Candlestick Park. And you probably know Candlestick Park as well. And if you don't, you know the legend of Candlestick Park. And so it didn't take very long at this football game uh, for it to get cold. I'll get to that in a second, but I wrote about this this morning at johnconzano.com. If you get my columns delivered in your email inbox, meaning if you subscribe, whether you have a free subscription or a paid subscription, you already have this story, and you got it this morning first thing. 
anytime I have breaking news and I posted twice today, you get it right away. So make sure you're subscribed if you're interested in that stuff. But I, I remember going to the game with her, and I remember being in the parking lot at Candlestick Park, and I loved Candlestick Park. You know, people thought it was a dump, and it was made of concrete and plastic, and it was an old ballpark that, you know, a lot of ballparks in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s sort of had that plastic feel to them, had the same seats, had the same big concrete concourses. And anybody who's been to Candlestick Park knows what I'm talking about. But, but it's still, because it was this monolith in, in the eyes of a 13-year-old me, uh, held a held a passionate, nostalgic, charming place in my mind, right? In my psyche, it wasn't the dump of Candlestick Park that everybody made fun of. It was Candlestick Park. It was like a cathedral. And that's where I went to see the San Francisco Giants play and, and you know, see uh, Jeffrey Leonard and, and Johnny LeMaster and Jack Clark and Vita Blue. And, and it's where I saw the Niners play. If I, you know, on the few occasions I got to go to a game as a kid, like I can remember, we probably went to see one or two games at that stadium in per- person, as a because uh, football tickets were expensive and it was more than an hour away. But I remember being in the parking lot of Candlestick, and my my aunt said to me, um, "You know, you're going to be on the field with me today. She's a photographer. Uh, we're going to be on the sideline. You know, it's important that you you know you don't get run over by one of the players, and you know, make sure you stay behind the lines where you're supposed to stay." and kind of keep your head down and stay out of trouble. Like, it was a preseason game, but she, I think, was still mindful of the fact that I was 13 and that it might raise some questions, like for me being on the sideline at age 13. But I was geared in, like, and I was I was locked in as a photographer and a journalist that day, and she even said that in the parking lot. She said, today you're a journalist. You know, there's not going to be any autographs. There's not going to be you posing for a picture with your favorite player. This is, you know, you're there to take some pictures and you're going to hold my camera bag, and you're going to see what it is to do my job. You're going to job shadow me, so to speak. Uh, I also had a notepad that I brought from home, and I put it in my back pocket with a with a pen. And I was going to, you know, I was on the sideline at an NFL game, and I was, you know, there and credentialed. And I can't, I can't tell you how impressed I was in the pregame. I had like four rolls of film, and yes, this was back in the day when you shot film, and I can remember that I had brought my own camera with like four ro- ro- rolls of film. But I, in the pregame, shot so many photos of the 49ers players and the Raiders players warming up or just standing on the sideline that I ran out of pictures. I had no more film. And so my aunt handed me a camera, her prof- one of her professional cameras. She had multiple cameras there at the game that day. And, you know, she said, hey, use this. Shoot as much as you want. We got a ton of film. Just keep, you know, shoot what you want to shoot. So I took a bunch of photos, and I can remember the players. Uh, you know, the players, it's preseason. They're locked in, but only to a certain extent. Like, in the, even in the 1980s, preseason games were still kind of roll your eyes. You know, Marcus Allen wasn't going to get in and rush for 100 yards that day. Ronnie Lott wasn't going to play the whole game. But Joe Montana and Jim Plunkett started the game for the 49ers and the Raiders, and I'll never forget that, like seeing those guys up close and personal. And I'll never forget, too, you know, Ronnie Lott on the sideline, me as a credentialed photographer at the age of 13, meandering down the 49ers' sideline, snapping photographs. And I can remember Ronnie Lott seeing me taking his picture and stopping to pose for me. And he asked me, 
how old are you? And I said, 13. And he just nodded, and he walked away. Like, he wanted to know, what's this kid doing on the sideline shooting photos? But it was an introduction to me into the world of journalism. And maybe as I tell this story, you're thinking about your own career or maybe uh, the job you have now or if you're a young person and you're driving around today and you're kind of lost in your career and you're wondering what direction you want to take or whatever, maybe this serves as some kind of gateway story for you where you can say to yourself, like maybe a job shadow in fill in the industry uh, is beneficial to you. But I can remember being in that short sleeve shirt in a pair of jeans and sneakers in a windbreaker, and I can remember the sun setting over candlestick and the wind picking up and the fog rolling over the lip of the stadium, and I can remember being cold. I was freezing cold. And I've been at candlestick a number of times, but I don't know what I was thinking in 1984, but it must have been about 100 degrees where I lived in the South Bay area. But by the time the sun set at candlestick park and the wind picked up, it probably was wind chill of like 50, 45. I don't know. I just remember being cold, and but I didn't care. I was on the sideline at an NFL game. I had a notepad. I was taking pictures. I was a journalist, so to speak. And I can remember my aunt at halftime of that game. Um, it was really interesting because nowadays with digital photography, the photographers will run in like at the end of the first quarter, they'll run into a certain photographer workspace at a stadium and they'll begin to, uh, you know, submit their photos to whoever they're working for, like the, uh, the newspaper uh, photographers at the LA Times, if they're at SoFi Stadium, can very quickly get their pictures uploaded to the newsroom in LA without having to drive across town with film and develop film and whatnot. But in 1984, no, they had a courier who would come to the stadium from the newspaper and had a credential and would be waiting in the tunnel at Candlestick Park. And my aunt gave me uh, a whole bunch of rolls of film that she had shot in the first and second quarter. And there was another photographer there that put a whole bunch of rolls that they had shot in the same envelope. And they told me, go down in the tunnel and hand that to the courier in the stadium tunnel, who will then take the, the rolls of undeveloped film to the examiner newsroom in downtown San Francisco and then somebody there develops the pictures and then they go through the proofs and then they pick the photo that they're going to use and then they create a, uh, a mock-up of the page and then they create a plate for the press and then the presses roll. It's an incredible process. If you never got to see it, I can just tell you it is a mind-blowing process that has now been replaced at most newspapers with the ability for a journalist to uh, electronically uh, transmit their photos to another person, just like you text a photo to someone else, uh, and then those photos go literally from the computer to a plate to the press. There's no in-between. So it is a fascinating process, though, back in the day because, you know, uh, you know, my aunt is a superstar photographer. Like, she's an award-winning photographer. She eventually ended up working at the New York Times. She has photographed a number of presidents in the Oval Office. She has photographed celebrities in their homes. Uh, when Louis Farrakhan's children got married, they reached out to my aunt to say, hey, we want you to shoot this because we know you shoot, um, you know, human interest uh, the best. And so they turn her loose at the wedding and say, we don't want wedding photos. We want your candid photos. And uh, but she's also kind of a badass. Like, you know, I remember in the early 1980s seeing a picture of my mother's younger sister crawling on her belly in a war zone in Cambodia 
well, you know, snapping photographs while these bullets are sailing over her head. Like one of the other photographers took the picture of her kind of, you know, moving around uh, in the middle of a war zone doing her job. She's worked for the New York Times, as I mentioned, National Geographic, Time Magazine. But I got to say this, my Aunt Nicole, uh, if she ever listens to this podcast, I got to tell you, I am forever grateful that you took one of your work days at the Examiner to, to spark you know, an interest in me in sports journalism. Because here I am on the radio all these years later. It's like 16, 17 years of this radio show. Here I am, you know, still covering games as a credentialed media member. I've worked for six newspapers, covered nine Super Bowls, few World Series, Kentucky Derby, Belmont, national championship games in college football. But I was thinking about this this morning as I was writing that column uh, about my aunt that nothing – Nothing will match first and 10 from Candlestick Park. The Niners won the game. I got to tell you, in my heart of hearts as a 13-year-old kid, I liked that. It was a preseason game. I don't care if it was meaningless. The Niners won. I was happy about that. And then my aunt took a picture of me on the field after the game. She was kind of done. The game was over. The players were running off. She said, hey, turn around. I was standing in, like, the end zone, one of the end zones. And I stopped and I turned, and she waited, and I couldn't tell why she was waiting, but I could see that she was waiting to take the picture. So I just stood there, and oh, by the way, I was wearing her jacket by the end of the game. I was wearing a pair of gloves that she gave me by the end of the game. She uh, obviously knew that I was cold. Uh, but she waited because Jack Reynolds, 49er linebacker known as Hacksaw Reynolds, was running off the field, and he was about to get in the frame with me. And in that moment, I wanted to be like, Hacksaw, what's up, man? Hacksaw, big fan. But I couldn't do that because I was a journalist. I was credentialed. And I got to tell you, uh, since that night, I've never wanted to be anything else but a journalist. I remember going to the Examiner newsroom after the game. Everyone was in a frenzy on deadline. There were proofs being approved. There were plates being made. There were editors shouting across the room. It was absolute electricity, just like you see in the movies. It was 11 o'clock midnight. I don't know what. It was, you know, it was late, way past my bedtime. And you know, that, that scene just absolutely intoxicating, just hooked me. The presses rolled. I can remember the floors at the examiner vibrating as the presses rolled in a, another part of the building. And we left. We went home. I was going to spend the night at her house, and she stopped off. I was starving. She stopped off and said, you want a slice of pizza? So she pulled over, and there was this pizza place not far from her house that served like late-night slices of pepperoni pizza by the slice. And I remember going into that pizza place with her, and you know, she ordered a slice of pizza for herself and one for me, and then she kind of said, do you have any questions? And I remember asking her, I go, you get paid for this? Like, they're, they're paying you for this? Like, I couldn't believe it. I thought about that story today, and I think it's important for two reasons. One, if you are somebody starting your career or maybe even restarting a career in the middle of your life, look for a mentor. Look for an opportunity. I was 13. I had no idea what I was doing. I am so blessed that my aunt saw something in me and went, you know what? Maybe that can, maybe I'll spark some. I'll take them to the game. Like, I don't think she was taking me to the game because I love the 49ers and I love football. I think she was taking me to the game because she saw something in me that was a possibility, you know, that maybe 
maybe this kid turns it into something else. Maybe he doesn't. So find a mentor if you're out there and you are somebody who is starting a career or thinking about a change in careers. Number two is be a mentor. If you're in a position where you are an expert in your field, as my aunt was an expert in her field, I don't care if it's finance or teaching or media, if you are an expert, I do feel that you have a duty, not an obligation, a duty to pass that forward and pay it forward in the way it was paid forward to you and to me. I try to do it too. I got a million college kids that you know want to talk and want to ask questions, and, and I, I, I got a kid right now who's... Uh, trying to been trying to you know get a conversation with me for months and you know we keep just not connecting it doesn't work with his schedule and my schedule but I do feel like an obligation a little bit but more of a duty to pass forward what has been given to me and the blessings that I have had in this career and and here's the other thing I'm going to leave you with we are watching college football change and I don't think of UCLA and USC had defected the way they did, that it would be in our face in the way it is, like as much as it is right now. But we're watching college football change. We're watching the Big Ten and the SEC chase revenue and monopolize the playoff. And loyalty and geography, they don't matter right now, right? And we're watching the Pacific and Mountain time zones get shut out potentially of, of the sport. And I think what's going to be born of that is apathy. I'm worried about college athletics. I'm worried that a part of the country is going to stop caring. I know that my aunt, I don't know, I haven't heard from her today, but I sent her, I texted her a link to the column. I don't know if she's traveling or whatnot. I haven't got an answer back from her yet. But I've tried to thank her over the years for, you know, that little gesture that was so big for me. I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing if she hadn't taken me to that game that day. But... Uh, you want to you want to call a NFL preseason game meaningless? You can go right ahead and do that. But I can tell you, at least one of those preseason games mattered to this kid. Leave it here. I got a great show for you today. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty the game. my story there i want to hear maybe your story steven you got a mentor have you did somebody mentor you put ah. you in the seat you're in now today when you think back as i told my story in the opening part of the show yeah i mean i had a weird weird uh working story because you know i i grew up and i played basketball in college and i didn't really know what i wanted to do um and then i got a job with the blazers like basically you know a half a year after college maybe a year after college i worked with them for six and a half years so I loved it, and I was a big Blazer fan, but then when you go to work for the team, you kind of lose that emotion and the love for them, but you still, you know, deep down, you know you want to work in sports, so I always knew I wanted to work in sports, uh, and then I worked at a different radio station. They kind of took me in and, you know, gave me a chance, so yeah, I mean, they were kind of my mentor growing up uh, in this building or in this uh, business, but I got in kind of late, right? Like, you, yeah. you started at 13. I started at 30, and so... It's a different type of thing when you're that old and you kind of, you know, you're trying to figure it out on the fly. But, you know, I do have people that I look up to. I still ask a lot of questions. You know, I ask you questions. I, I give you, uh, you know, I emailed you the other day because I have a podcast coming out. Like, yeah. can you promote that? Like, 
I'm not afraid to reach out, but you know, I have a lot of people in my corner, and you know, so I have a long list of people that I could give thanks to. Yeah, it was weird being 13 because I, I think, you know, as I go, as I talk to other colleagues, like nobody else was 13 and credentialed. Like I had, I had an in with an aunt who was doing that, and she only did that one time for me, and she did it on a preseason game, and she was not a normal sports photographer. She was more, more mainly shooting human interest stuff and news stories. So I got, you know, I was really lucky to have that in. But it kind of opened my eyes to the idea that there were jobs out there that, like, I didn't know how I could get there or how I would get there, but I knew that there were jobs out there that, that if I wanted them, I could, I could gravitate towards them. And I found myself doing that. I think it's really tricky. You mentioned at 30, you know, going and trying something new. My mom was 50 when she became a nurse. Like, yeah. it was, like, I think that I got a lot of respect for that, Stephen. Like, you know, you, you just kind of pivoted. And it's not like you changed altogether because you stayed in sports. Right. But I, I have a lot of respect for that because I think that can be a scary thing when you're like 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old. No, definitely. And, you know, I, I didn't know if it would work out, right? Like going into this business, it's very hard to get any opportunities. But I knew, you know, I work hard and I, you know, I respect what it is and I want to be the best at what I do. So I work hard at it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I found, you know, I have found that I have passion for it, just like you did when you were 13 years old. I just found it at 30. So, you know, it is, it's honestly like you talk about that, your mom changed to be a nurse at 50. It's never too late to find what you're passionate about. So it is cool, you know, to read about people's passion and how they, uh, they got, you know, someone DM me about your story today, John, your column today about how they love just to read about how you figured out your passion. So it's like, you know, it is one of those things where it's never too late. It's weird too, to write about yourself, but I thought, I just felt like I looked at the date. It was August the 4th, 1984, 8484 was the date that I was at that game. And, um, you know, I've had people note that, you know, it was the Raiders were in transition at the time. They were in L.A. The Niners were, you know, they'd won a Super Bowl, but in, you know, this, this season before they had struggled in the 82-83 uh, window. Like it was, you know, things were not all smooth for them. You know, they were still trying to uh, to get back to a Super Bowl and win it. And they, event, you know, they would. They had great players. But, um I just remember, uh, you know, this morning as I went to write this, I was like, you know, maybe somebody's going to read it who is sitting in a position, and I don't care if you're a professor, I don't care if you're a bus driver, I don't care if you own a restaurant, whatever it is you do, I think you can mentor somebody. I think, you know, we all should look for that. You know, we're in a society that basically says, make sure you put your oxygen mask on first, and that's fine. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. We all need to be, like, self-sufficient. But beyond that, I think we're in a community, and I think if, you know, you're in a position, whether you're a financial advisor or a teacher or a media member or whatever you are, you, you know, maybe you work construction, maybe you own a business, small business, wherever you are, I think you have expertise that you can give other people. And I know I lean on people all the time for expertise in my job. Like, I don't know everything about basketball. I don't know everything about football. I don't know everything about baseball, even though I played baseball for a long time and had a dad who played pro baseball. There's still stuff I don't understand. But I lean into coaches, managers, assistant coaches, administrators, athletic directors, university presidents, and I ask, you know, hey, tell me, tell me what, what's happening here. What am I seeing here? This doesn't make sense to me. Or explain to me how this happens. Or, hey, let me tell you what I think of this, and you tell me if it's stupid. Like, I'll do that all the time and bounce off of people. I think we need those relationships. We need to continue to be a community. So if you are somebody who is an expert, whatever you are an expert at, 
look for somebody to, to be a mentor for somebody. And well, if you're not, then, you know, if you if you need a mentor, find one. And you talked about that, like, in a business like this, it's very cutthroat. So for you to be open and willing to help people out, like, that's very admirable of you. And, you know, I've tried to do that as well, just seeing how people can be treated in this industry. Like, you know, Sean is a lot younger than I am, but I like to give Sean as much, you know, advice that I have. Not that I have a lot, yeah. but everything that I've learned, like, I want to pass it on to Sean because I want him to just learn by himself and figure it out if he really has love for this or not. And by virtue of the fact that you're just older than Sean, you have something to offer because I think you just have a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I, I, have two, I have two kids, and, you know, so I have a totally different view on just everything in life. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's really important for people to be out there and to try to be, a, you know, a mentor if you can be. We're going to go next to Seattle. Mike Varell is the beat reporter who covers Washington Huskies football. He saw something interesting at practice today. He's going to give us some insight into Kalen DeBoer's first year, his first fall camp. That's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I love getting around the conference and talking to the experts who cover the programs in this conference. Mike Burrell of the Seattle Times does a hell of a job covering Washington. He used to cover Notre Dame back in the day. I may ask him some about that as well. But he was out at, uh, he's been out at Washington's practices, and uh, I wanted to drag him onto this show, kicking and screaming. Mike, thank you for making time. I know you're busy. I appreciate it, John. How's it going? Going well, man. I've been I've been locked into your Twitter. You have been sort of you're not like live tweeting the practices, but you're giving some great insight into what's going on. Tell us what's happening at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean it's kind of status quo from what we saw in the spring, where you've got a three way quarterback competition between Michael Penix Jr., Dylan Morris, and Sam Heward. And at least through the first week, week and a half, they're going to keep on giving uh, equal reps each day to uh, those three quarterbacks. Yesterday. It was Penix mostly with the starters today with Sam Seward. I think tomorrow will probably be Dylan Morris. I think they've got their first scrimmage next Saturday, Saturday the 13th, and they'll kind of go through that scrimmage and sort of assess where they're at and maybe make it a two-man race or, or see just kind of where things are. But, you know, it was an impressive day from Sam Seward today. I think Penix was really sharp yesterday, and it's just kind of a matter of who's going to take advantage of those opportunities before they kind of start to parse things and, and, and figure out where they want to go from here. Strengths and weaknesses, you often see quarterbacks who, you know, do things a little differently. Can you maybe, you know, parse out, you know, a strength that each of those guys has that, that gives them, that makes them good, I guess? Yeah, I mean, Michael Penix Jr., I think, is what you'd expect from a guy who's a two-time captain, has played big games in the Big Ten. I think he doesn't have the most otherworldly physical skills, but he understands what to do with the football. I think he, he's played in Kalen DeBoer's offense at Indiana in 2019. He knows, you know, how this offense works, who's going to be open. I think he reads defenses pretty well. He makes smart decisions. I think he's just a guy who understands the game. When you see Sam Heward today, it was today was really an example of, of what Sam Heward is at this point, where he made a really bad uh, interception where he kind of stared down a receiver and threw a pick. And then he comes back and he throws three, three deep touchdowns and has maybe his best day. And he's a guy who throws the deep ball really well. He's got a tremendous uh, arm when it comes to the deep ball. He has a great feel for that. But he still is, you know, making strides when it comes to understanding defenses, reading defenses, and kind of piecing together the mental part of the game. Dylan Morris, I think, is a better quarterback than what we saw last year where he was placed in a really 
difficult position in that offense. And I think he's a guy who has more mobility than people think. He can make every throw. He's got a bigger arm than you'd expect at his size. Um, but he doesn't throw the deep ball quite as well as a Sam Heward does. So I think all three of those guys, have strengths and weaknesses, and it's going to make for an interesting couple of weeks. Yeah, the coaches will all talk about not wanting to pick a starter because they run the risk of somebody jumping in the portal. Who's the biggest flight risk here on this in that trio? Uh, I think it's Sam Heward for sure. I, I just think personally, you know, Penix has already transferred once. He's got two years of eligibility left, but it's not likely to happen again. And if I had to, you know, handicap it, I think you'd say that Michael Penix has got to be the favorite to start, just given all the experience he's got at Indiana and the fact that he's played for Kalen DeBoer in the past. Um, Dylan Morris, you know, obviously was the starter last year, and you could see him going into the portal. But I think just knowing him the way I do, knowing some of his family, He's a guy who, who loves UW, who loves his current staff, who grew up around this program, and I just don't see him leaving. And while Heward comes from a similar background where obviously he's got the family ties to UW, being the five-star kid, you know, I, I think if he's not the guy this year, and even more so if he's the number three guy and he feels like he's buried, you could see a situation where he would start to look around. So obviously that's kind of the culture of football today. Um, and those last two guys have eligibility left when it comes to Morrison Heward. But with, with a five-star kid, who's had such big expectations. If Heward is number three and is kind of sitting on the sideline, doesn't see a pass to the field, that's when you might see a kid start to look at his opportunities elsewhere. Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, our guest. Uh, I was looking at Washington's schedule, and it, the conference part of it looks very favorable in that they don't have to play Utah and they don't have to play USC, so they skip those two teams. But where do you look on their schedule for – maybe the first opportunity to see what Washington's about. Is it is it week three against Michigan State, or can you learn something in the Kent State-Portland State games? Well, to be frank, I hope you don't learn that much in the Kent State games the way that we did a year ago. If, you, if you're right. learning a lot against Montana, it's probably not a good thing, and that's what I would feel about the Kent State game, even though that was a quality max team a year ago. But you'd hope that they'd run through those opponents and then – you know, when you look at Michigan State Week 3, they've got a stretch there where it's home against Michigan State, home against Stanford, at UCLA, at Arizona State, kicking off Pac-12 play, where I think you have a feel for what kind of team this is. And, and is it – we've talked before about the chasm between ceiling and floor for this group. You know, is it a 6-6 six and six team? Is it an 8-4 team? Is it a team that could contend for a Pac-12 title? You won't know all those answers, you know, after Michigan State and Stanford and UCLA, but I think you'll have an idea of, of how improved this team is. Um, just going through that kind of stretch. The defensive side of the ball, it's been a strength. It was a strength under Jimmy Lake. Uh, how is that defensive unit looking so far in camp? It's hard to say. I think today was a little bit of a tough day because, like I said, uh, Sam Heward had a big day and had a couple uh, long touchdowns. I, I think it's a group that has an interesting mix of, of experience and newcomers. You don't have Trent McDuffie on the outside. You don't have Kyler Gordon. But the one thing with, with UW under Jimmy Lake was that they always recruited the defensive back position really well, and I think they've got guys that they're really excited about. I think the question with this group is, do you have the disruptive, game-changing, first-team, all-pack-12-type players? Um, they've got to prove that they've got those guys in the defensive line because they haven't had that for a number of years, as well as at the linebacker position. When you've got a guy like Eddie Olafosio who's going to miss probably at least half the season, you're bringing in transfers in Cam Bright and Chris Mole who are proven contributors, but, but you know, what's their, what's their ceiling? I think you've got a lot of, of defensive players here who you can see the potential in, but I, I don't know that they have the game changers, and that's something that we're going to have to wait and see. The, the player that you are most excited to see play games 
you know, I, I think around the league, you know, I'm eager to see Bo Nix at Oregon. I'm I'm eager to see the running back, Damian Martinez, at Oregon State. Who is it at Washington that you're eager to see play? I think when you look at this coaching change, who it affects the most is probably the wide receivers in terms of just putting them in positions to succeed. So from that perspective, the wide receivers here have a lot of potential. you got Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, two four-star guys. Jalen Polk, who did a lot at Texas Tech before coming as a transfer. Those are the positions that you feel like were probably held down in a less creative offense previously. Those are the positions that I'm really interested in. Then, of course, on on defense, I feel like ZTF is a pretty obvious answer, a guy who I think had a pretty strong day today. I think their edges, on the whole, they feel quietly good about. A guy like Braylon Trice, who's been sort of building the last couple years. But ZTF is, is the question where he reached such you know, stratospheric heights two years ago in a very small sample size. Is he that guy that can be overwhelming as a pass rusher, or was that somewhat of a mirage? I think that's something we're going to see one way or the other this fall. Give me an idea. You know, around the conference, you, you check in with different fan bases, and they're feeling different things about the, you know, USC-UCLA defection and what it means. You know, I think Oregon State's fans are nervous that if the conference splintered altogether, they would be left in something resembling the Mountain West. But Washington's interesting to me, and it's been quiet, Mike. What What's the feel there among Husky fans and, and coaches and administrators that you've talked with? I don't think there's as much of a panic as there was, like, as you know, in, in the moments and days and, and weeks after that move. It was a feeling like you had to find a lifeboat, and I don't think it, it feels quite that way now. But still – from a UW perspective, it's probably fairly similar to Oregon, where uh, there's no question that they're going to end up somewhere in a Power Five, you know, scenario. But but there is a large call from a lot of the fans that want to see them in the Big Ten just to have that pathway potentially to the college football playoff. You know, even though it has been fairly unrealistic from a Pac-12 perspective to make the playoffs in recent years, that's still the stated standard at a place like UW. It's going to take probably a number of years to get there realistically, but but they want to have that pathway to a championship. So can they do that realistically in the Pac-12? I think that's obviously the valuable question from a revenue standpoint. Can they eventually find their way to the Big Ten? I think a lot of fans want that. And, of course, there's a segment of the fan base as well that wants to see them uphold a lot of the traditional ties that they have and continue to play Washington State every year. And you can't just do both. You know, Obviously, if the Pac-12 stays together in its current form, you know, an undefeated team can make the playoff, but looking 5, 10, 15 years ahead, can you play the Apple Cup every year and also, you know, be a, a consistent playoff contender? That's going to be the question. Mike Varell, Seattle Times, is with us. All right. Uh, the million-dollar question, Kalen DeBoer, he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. He got hired around the same time as Lincoln Riley and Dan Lanning at Oregon. And so it's been, you know, it's been understated. And I, even at Media Day, I – I really like the guy. He's solid. I think he's smart, but he's not. He's not. He's never going to be over the top. Is is that a welcome act in Seattle? Will that raise money? Will that move the needle? I, I I've thought about different coaches over the years, and personality-wise, is is he a good fit there? I think he's a really good fit from a lot of standpoints. I I think from what you're saying, I think he's very comfortable with that idea that he's not going to come in and steal the spotlight. I don't think he wants to. I don't think he has much interest in that. But everywhere he's gone as of late, he's taken teams that, that weren't very good the year before and turned them into something pretty quickly. When you talk about Fresno State, when he got there as an OC in 2017, they were 1-11 the year before. They were 10-4 and in his first season. He goes to Indiana as OC. I think they were 4-8 and the year before. 
They were 8-5 and five the next year. Same thing as the head coach at Fresno. They were 4-8, and eight, and they turned that team around. They won 10 games last year. So he's made quick turnarounds pretty much everywhere he's gone in the last couple stops. The question is, you know, is he going to sell tickets right away? I don't know that he has the personality where it's not similar, like you said, to a Lincoln Riley where he's going to come in and rah-rah and they're going to fill the stadium because of his personality. But I think you can also feel pretty confident that if they win games the way that he wants to, fans are going to show up. So I don't think he's got that personality where he really cares too much about trying to, to sell fans into the building. But if they play the way that they want to, and especially with the style of offense he runs, if, that, if they win games that way, I think you know fans are going to buy in pretty quickly. Our research staff tells me that you're, you're a triplet. You have two sisters. How was that, man? What was that like? You got a heck of a staff. Uh, I don't know who you're paying for that, but that, <laughs> that is absolutely true. I've gotten that question a lot, and it's hard to answer because I don't know what it's like not to be a triplet, so I can't compare the experience to anything else. But I, I enjoyed it. My sisters are both in the medical field making a lot more money than I probably am out west. But uh, they're saving lives, and I'm writing about you know defensive ends and, and position competition. So we're all having our fun and in, in, in hopefully making some kind of a difference in our own ways. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love them. I'm very close with them. But uh, it, was a, it was a fun upbringing for sure. It's funny because you got to think of it from your parents' standpoint because, you know, your parents are going to go, look, we got two in the medical field, and then we got the sports writer, and that's balance for them. Like, that, job well done to there your you parents. Go. You know, so uh, yeah, hey, and, I, I have an older brother, too, and he also became a writer. So the, the men are artistic and the women are saving lives. I love I love that. Uh, Mike Varell with us, Seattle Times. Uh, you worked three seasons covering Notre Dame football for the South Bend Tribune. You're a beat reporter there. Notre Dame has been talked about a lot. Give some insight. You know, Notre Dame feels like it's very comfortable being independent. And I'm having a hard time seeing them in the Big Ten. How do you view the Notre Dame conundrum and and what they might do? I don't think it's much of a conundrum like a lot of people have written unless they don't feel like they have access to the playoff. Because obviously when you go to Notre Dame, what they preach to you is we have one goal, one end point, and it's to win a national championship. They don't play in a conference. And there's a lot of pride in that. They don't care about a conference championship. They say that flatly. They care about getting into a playoff and playing for a national title. And if that's not the end goal, then all of a sudden they're kind of rudderless as a program. So I think for now they don't feel compelled to do much of anything. I think it's a program that takes a lot of pride in its independence and its ability to remain so. I think its fans take a lot of pride in that. And I think until they're forced off of that hill, they're not going to leave voluntarily. And it seems the way that things are trending with the next playoff, there's still going to be room for Notre Dame, you know, in, in that scenario. I think they're going to make plenty of money in the next TV deal, whether it's with NBC or anyone else. So I think really the the playoff would be the only factor that would force them out of independence. And right now it doesn't seem like that's imminent. So I wouldn't wait for Notre Dame to make a move if you're Washington or Oregon hoping for them to be sort of the, the first factor that allows you as far as an invitation to the Big Ten. Yeah, so as long as they can get to the playoff and they can get ample revenue uh, from NBC, and I think they will, uh, I think they stay independent. Uh, Mike, before I cut you loose, I was talking off the top of the show about mentors in my life. Uh, who are some of the mentors that helped you get to where you are? That's a great question. I, mean, I think, I think my, my parents were a big part of that. I, I think I started writing in a lot because of my older brother who's also a writer he's not a sports writer but he's someone who grew up reading a lot and writing a lot and I kind of took after him from a personality standpoint and and then 
going to the University of Missouri, I was able to just kind of soak up a lot from a, from a whole bunch of different writers and uh, Wright Thompson and Seth Wickersham and, and guys that are older than me that would come back to campus and talk to us. And, and I think I was just able to sort of sit and observe um, and still try to do that. And I think I still have a lot of mentors that don't even know that they're mentors for me. So I've been very privileged to have a lot of people that I've been able to draw on. Mike, I appreciate you giving us your time and expertise. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Read him at the Seattle Times website. Mike Varell, thank you. All right. Thanks, John. There he is. He's the best on that beat. Mike Varell, Seattle Times. Coming up, our big splash. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we were going to get, uh, we're going to get Jed Collins, president of Washington State's NIL bid, the Cougar Collective. Jed Collins coming up at 4 o'clock. The collectives have figured out that this show's got some reach. Arizona State's collective wanted on the show earlier in the week. Washington State's collective heard that Arizona State's collective was on and they want to be on the show. Uh, next week, uh, probably going to have Division Street and... Oregon State's collective on the program. Does Sean and I get any NIL money for that? <laughs> you guys want some NIL money? Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? You want, like, Jamba Juice? Yeah, I'll take it, that. Is oh, that I a, love is, Jamba Juice. Look at how quickly you yeah. settle. You should have held oh, yeah, out. Sorry. I was going to walk it up. You both just went, yes, that's it. I'm like Kramer. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> like, that's it, Kramer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jamba Juice. You got it. All right. We'll, we'll get you some Jamba. Uh, but, yeah, NIL money? You can... That's a good thing. Where do you guys think, like, I've heard people talk about federal intervention on the NIL front. And then I've heard other people say, no, 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 the right way to do this is collective bargaining. Uh, have a players association for college players. What is your reaction to that? Uh, I just think it's going to be tough to institute either. I mean, I think it's so hard because the NIL money, the big money is going to the big time players, but not everyone is getting a lot of money. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just going to be hard to it's the same thing as like uh, just distribution rights, like getting the same amount of money for every school. Does every school deserve the same amount of money or do the better schools do better earn better money? So I, I I don't know, John. I really have no idea about that. But it's I think it's going to be hard to do anything as a group with the whole NCAA. The I problem, think yeah, college, go ahead, Sean. college sports needs to find its version of the salary cap, like in professional sports, that keeps, you know, for more or less, the big markets from dominating. I know there's still issues in professional sports with that, with that topic, but, you know, they have at least salary caps that kind of even the playing field. It feels like college football doesn't really have that right now. So Texas and USC and Alabama, some of the schools that are some of the biggest brands in the country with the, you know, the most boosters, uh, the most high-profile boosters, it feels like they have an advantage right now. So I think there needs to be kind of the guidelines, kind of like the the college version of a salary cap. Yeah, I think part of the one of the problems with the Players Association in a college setting is that you don't have the players there long enough. And the really good ones who this would most apply to are gone in like two years, one to two years in, you know, in cases of men's basketball and then football. So who's bargaining and who's – I guess it would be – you know, maybe in this era where you have like a kid like Jaden Grant who's in his seventh year in college, B 
because of the pandemic and because of a medical redshirt, he's got extra eligibility and he's sticking around. But that's those cases are few and far between. So I'm kind of it's kind of interesting to me to kind of try to think about like who it is that is like who is the union, and and oh by the way, what percentage of those players or athletes that would be part of the college union are football players? You know, is it going to be a bunch of gymnasts and track and field athletes who are in college for four and five and six years who are making the rules and, and voting? And I, I don't know how happy the football players are going to be with that. So I think there's an issue with the union. But I also don't want to see our lawmakers who have bitter, bigger and better things to do than to deal with college football. I don't want to see them do that. This brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the Big Splash. Well, our Big Splash is coming out of the Big 12 Conference today. Ed Stewart, the former executive associate commissioner in the Big 12, is leaving that conference for a new job at USC. He spent 16 years in the Big 12 Conference, and he's the head football administrator for the conference, well-respected, former Nebraska football captain on the 94 National Championship team. He's headed to USC, where he'll work for uh, Mike Bone, who knew him from his time working at Colorado. Uh, the Stewart is on the move, and the Big 12 is now looking for a new associate executive commissioner. Leave it here. More ahead. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, I told you the collectives have found us. I want, I, I need to know what these collectives are about, what their mission is. You're curious too. I got a ton of questions for the collectives. Jed Collins, former NFL player, fullback, Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, former Washington State player now is the president of the Cougar Collective. That's right, he is the Cougar Collective president. He is the at fullback finance guy on Twitter. And he's joining us now, Jed Collins. Thanks for making time for us. How are you, man? I appreciate it, John. And believe me, brother, we all have a lot of questions <laughs> in this world. I, I would. I would be remiss to not give a little shout-out to my Houdat Nation. So you, you listed off yeah. a few of the teams I played for. New Orleans is where I got my bread buttered, so i got to give right. them a shout-out too. I, all right, I want to go down these teams because I think it's just, as I looked at this, I was like, man, look at this. Eagles, Bears, Browns, Chiefs, Cardinals, back to the Browns, Titans, then the Saints where the bread was buttered, the Lions, and the Cowboys. Man, you did it all. You know, that's a, a claim to fame. I get to walk into back into the NFL in the locker room. That's my first question is how many times do you think I've been cut? And I, I got to I get to say today I learned from someone in every one of those rooms and the mindset around not fearing failure but learning and leaning into it, that's uh, you know, one of the great things sports teaches us. I was talking off the top of the show about the, the value of mentors and mentorship. And who mentored mm. you? Oh, everybody. And if you are observant and curious and you're in a room full of greatness, everyone is a mentor. 
um, from John Dorenboss, my rookie year, who was a long snapper. It was a skill I didn't have in college uh, that he took it out of his time to teach me a few of the tricks, and it ended up getting me a few jobs during tryouts. When there's five fullbacks, you know, going up and begging the special teams coach to come watch you long snap. Uh, Guys like Lawrence Vickers, who are fullbacks that I got the mindset and the mentality from. But then, you know, you you get to work with a 20-year kicker, a 13-year safety, a 15-year quarterback, and you just watch their process, their routine. Uh, Anyone from Tony Gonzalez to Drew Brees, you just really try to steal from the people who, and when I looked at it, it was I was leaving the room. What did they do and what did they have that I didn't? And so the mentorship process is, is a tremendous opportunity. But somebody who I got to connect with a lot was a, a, Kurt, or a Washington State football alumni named Brett Carolyn. He's been my mentor for about 15 years now, both in the world of football but also in the world of finance. He was the, the beginning of my journey when I woke up and realized I was financially illiterate. What did your body feel like after an NFL football game, like day after, two days after? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Putting on a seatbelt was hard because my shoulders were banged up. It's your neck. Your neck is uh, something that you really don't appreciate, needs to to swivel and pivot. Uh, And, you know, everybody kind of compares it and says it's like going through a car accident. And I don't know if I could, could kind of make that comparison because, you don't expect a car accident. You, you kind of, you know, respond to it. Mine were collisions. Mine, as a fullback, I learned to lead block. So I was the driver. I was the hammer, uh, the guy who, who got paid to move. So the day after games is not something I'll ever, ever forget, but not something I really ever want to experience again, especially having kids now. It is, uh, it is good if you won and if you did a good job. If you know you still got to watch film and it was not a successful venture, it hurts a lot more. Jed Collins with us, former NFL player, Washington State player, and now the president of the Cougar Collective. You're also a professor. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but let's talk NIL for a second here. When this all comes down the pipeline, like everybody else, uh, you know, I'm going to assume that you went, hey, it's good. It's good that players, it's great that players can start to monetize their likeness because you had been there. But it, it came with complications, and then these collectives had popped up. Give us an idea of the Cougar Collective, what it aims to do. So we were, as you were just mentioning, I, I guess forced into existence. Uh, a lot of people look at some of these universities down in the south or some of these institutions and say, wow, they already got things up and running. i got to imagine a lot of these schools already had a lot of these pieces in place. <laughs> Washington State had to go and start from scratch. And it was really hard because, you know, you look at the, the places that would welcome or be innovator on this line, and we were definitely not that. How I got to my position was working with other universities around education and financial literacy and really seeing it come to fruition a year or two ago. So that's why I was kind of the first, you know, bell ringer at Washington State to say, this is something that we're going to need to participate in and get going. Do I think it is launched and been uh, handled the right way? Absolutely not. But this is the, the you know stadium we have decided to play in. And so now the Cougar Collective is very simply going to reward people to remain Cougs. Pay to stay is kind of going to be our mantra. 
We want to support them and provide them great opportunities, um, but truly being able to, to reward the loyalty. And, of course, we want to welcome new people into the family, but it is going to be more of a focal point for us because we won't be able to compete with the, the you know, million-dollar budgets. We're going to have to focus on how do we get creative and how do we find opportunities and deals for our current juniors and seniors who have uh, put some skins on the wall. I like it. It's a different uh, pitch that I've heard others talk about, you know, well, we're just here to help kids monetize their likeness or, you know, worse yet, we see cases where high school recruits are getting seven-figure, six-figure deals to go places so you're, the approach at Washington State, Jed, if I'm getting this right, is more along the lines of, look, we, we're about retention. We want to keep kids at Washington State and help them, uh, help them decide to stay there. I, I mean, we have no other choice. If you come to Washington State as a, a freshman, a sophomore, even a junior, and have an all-Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever we are going to be in the future kind of performance, in today's day and age with the transfer portal, you will be gone next season. And so we need to focus on those retaining those players, retaining those leaders, as well as uh, you know promoting and, and empowering our other athletes in other sports. Uh, men and women are going to be able to participate in this. So we, we look at it and say we're not going to be able to go compete for the five-star, four-star, six-figure talent. So who are we going to focus on? We're going to focus on the people in the building, putting in the sweat, putting in the work, and making sure that they uh, continue to not just enjoy their time in Pullman but can benefit from it. And that is also going to be a big focal point from our perspective is that education pro uh, process. It, obviously from a professional development and talking from anything of how to respond to an email or conduct an interview to my personal life's passion of financial literacy and being able to capture the, the monetary piece of this. Jed Collins with us, uh, former NFL player, Washington State player, now president of the Cougar Collective. How are you raising your money? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so currently we have been proceeding just based on uh, Washington State alumni who understand that this is going to be necessary to compete going forward. Um, that was kind of the beginning of the Cougar Collective. We have been able to now adapt and adopt different methods of revenue where we are going to go everything from a, you know, it's definitely a we've seen it done and we're going to steal good ideas. We've seen the subscription model, so we are implementing and launching a subscription model here in the next week uh, that is going to be perfectly aligned with football season and kickoff. We have created merchandise that is going to be able to both benefit the individual players as well as the collective. Um, we're looking at really uh, identifying our economy within the city of Pullman in eastern Washington and providing resources. If it's not $1,000, $100,000, can we get them food? Can we get them some of the essentials that they need? So we've been able to turn the page from just, hey, can we get – Cougs to contribute and, and support this to how do we start to aim for return on investment? Who can we find? Uh, we've had some deals where social media marketing has benefited, all those kinds of atmospheres. So how do we see this lane and say the only way we will be able to be sustainable is to truly start generating a value and a revenue. And that's 
We have to. We are not a, a for-profit business. We are a board of volunteers. We, I have lost money in this engagement. But if we are going to be a sustainable entity, we are going to have to be able to treat it like a business and generate profit and value. You know, it's really interesting to kind of watch all this unfold. And, you know, you're, you're probably, you know, there, there were no, there were very few ground rules. But I think there's a lot of rubbernecking going on. Like I talked to Arizona State's collective earlier this week, and I think they kind of looked around and said, okay, what is everyone else doing? You guys are doing a little bit of that, but you're tailoring it to Washington State. I know that you're not supposed to have certain contact or involvement from the university, but how much can you talk to coaches in respective programs about which players you should be rewarding, or how do you determine that? I mean, there is no rule against having conversations with coaches. Uh, the biggest and the only rule that the NCAA came out with is not to entice people to come to your campus, which I think we can all agree has not been implemented in the first year of this uh, kind of world. Uh, we have, you know, Washington State is a, is a family kind of oriented place, so I have relationships with coaches on all of our sports staff. There is nothing wrong with me saying, hey, coach, who, do you, who would you like to see us support? Give us two or three names, and we want to go find them deals. And that's what we are going to be able to be is that operational branch outside of the university. Now, that being said, I just spent the week down in Louisiana at LSU, and you look at schools like Ohio State, their state laws are now allowing them to be in the middle of those conversations, be in the middle of these deals, and have people from the universities start representing the player and providing those resources. So it is going to be interesting to see state to state how the laws mandate. As of right now, we are able to have conversations with any current student athlete um, with the coaches, and we are able to get a name from them. And from there, we get to go to work and supporting them. Yeah, I like that. And how, you know, how focused on football will this be versus other sports? You know, you got to begin with what is being the biggest spotlight. How do you make a splash? And obviously, how do you support uh, the biggest revenue generator? For us, we had to and will continue to focus on football. Uh, but we have already begun engagements with other sports, you know, uh, women's volleyball, women's soccer going into season. How do we begin to build their, if not individual NIL deals, but maybe team NIL deals? How do we get them some sponsorship and support? So I think it starts with football because that's the easiest, and then it continues to trickle out into the other uh, engagements. And as we've seen across the board, females in this NIL world have been able to monetize, I would argue, even better than a lot of the men. So there's going to be some unique cases and situations. Uh, but as a collective, we, we wanted to start with where our – athletic department our university and our fans focus which is our football team uh but we've already begun to expand beyond that hey, it's really fun let's talk football for a second jed what's going to happen at washington state with jake dickert in his second year and, and cam ward who i correct me if i'm wrong cougar collective was instrumental in uh getting uh cam ward talked about you know a place to live a car to drive and some walking around money being part of the deal uh as he after he arrived on campus and I, I got to point out that after he arrived. So we definitely already had confirmation that he had signed his letter of intent. <laughs> yeah. 
and yes. he was a, a student athlete. Um, and it, it, it was it, that was a very interesting one. Cam, you know, I, as we look at it, Cam might be the steal of the NIL uh, first year of NILs because you look at the packages other starting quarterbacks got, and he got a tremendous one for you know not getting anything the year before and not having that possibility to jumping up to the, uh, the level he did. He is a tremendous talent. I am ex- excited to see him. He came with his, you know, his head coach now, his offense coordinator, Coach Morris. They already have a rapport. They know the system. He is a, one of those guys we're going to get to watch develop and grow and really with a big chip on his shoulder of where he's been overlooked. Coach Dickert has a really neat energy, and I just uh, got to go back for an alumni football event with about 100 former guys the first coaching staff in a very long time that just opened the doors and welcomes our fraternity, our brotherhood into the mix, welcomes questions, welcome connections, wanted us to see the new facilities in the building. That, to me, says so much about him. Obviously, he's got to win some ball games, but as he has become a member of Washington State, he has taken some crazy situations and some bad uh, timing and, you know, turn turn lemons into lemonade. So he's going to come in with some energy. He definitely has a, a tall task in, in the season and who we're about to go play against, even, you know, going back to his home state of Wisconsin. But we're confident that the, the product on the field is going to reflect the leadership that is being installed. And we have some really good, talented players in, in place. So nothing is easy. Nothing is going to be given. But, yeah, we're definitely expecting to see some uh, some surprises in, in Pullman uh, as opposed to uh, kind of a disappointing year. Yeah, yeah I, I liked – I talked to Cam Ward just last week, and I left the interview. I, I walked by Coach Dickert afterwards, and I pointed to my, my head, and I said, your quarterback's smart. Uh, you could just tell yeah. there's there's a lot going on. I think, I think he's you – know, obviously he's got sensational athletic talents, but I just love talking to him. He is an impressive young man. Everything from and looking at these opportunities he got with NIL immediately, he's already turned around. One of his big tickets was, I want to fly my parents to the game. They would not have been able to come up from every game in Texas. That just shows you his heart and his mind and where he thinks. Uh, He's already sponsoring his sister's uh, basketball team. So it's just, it's really neat to see him take this opportunity and run with it. But his his intellect is going to be seen because he does know this system. He's kind of hit the ground running, and it, it will be a, an enjoyable thing to see this young man flourish because he Jed, is he is definitely one you want to support. Jed, let me ask you about the teaching. You, you, after your playing days, you you were you're doing some teaching as a professor. Where are you teaching? What are you teaching? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Uh, definitely not something I've always wanted to do. As I mentioned earlier, the NFL is a great financial opportunity, but the dream is leaving the game with uh, some memories and some money. Uh, our coaches always called it a bag of M&Ms. And so when I got humbled to the reality, I had no idea about how to handle money. I, I looked at being in a, a business major. I got a great degree in accounting. And I looked around my locker room. I said, if I don't know these answers, I'm pretty sure very few of these guys do. And the reality is it's not a locker room problem. It's an everybody problem. So I, I went out, uh, set a, uh, built a company called Money Vehicle that is 
uh, closing the gap of financial literacy nationwide. We work in high schools, in colleges across the country, and it's really just translating this complex language of money into short, digestible stories and videos that people are going to be able to understand and go and impact on what they do. So taking the education and turning it into empowerment, um, it's been a really neat journey and really fortunate for myself to find a passion after the game of football and find a purpose of, of serving and helping people. And so, yeah, today I, I'm excited to see where and how we can help people. Um, and we have a, a, a virtual program that is, is going into high schools and being taught. And that is kind of one of those missions and visions I've seen for about 14 years now come to life. It's pretty cool. It's it's great that you got to live sort of your NFL football dream, and now you're doing really what you want to do, and you're also helping helping kids, and by virtue of that, also helping athletes with the Cougar Collective. So I applaud that. Uh, for people who want to learn more about the Cougar Collective, you can go to cougarcollective.org. That's cougarcollective.org to donate or to find out more if you're a business that wants to get involved. But, uh, Jed, you mentioned you're also going to start sort of the recurring – donation thing where you know alumni that want to give 50 bucks a month can can sign on and do a recurring donation is that coming soon that is coming and that will be on the website next week we are calling it the 1890 club which anybody associated with washington state will know where we got that that's the year our university was founded and we would love 50 dollars a month but we're starting with that 18 dollars and 90 cents a month about 200 dollars a year and our mission is to, you know, not try to find the, the, the whale who will give us a million, but go find the 1,000, 2,000 cougs who want to support their cougar athletes. And that 1890 club is going to be fun. Um, and, yeah, it will be on the website, as you mentioned, cougarcollective.org. We are building this plane as we fly it, so welcome ideas. But opportunities are starting to flow, and people like yourself bring an awareness to the positives of what this can be. You know, it is not happening the way anybody saw it. Is it fair? Is it this? Is it that? It doesn't matter. The game has started. The whistle blew. And so this is how we are going to be able to compete going forward. And, you know, I'm proud to serve my university and proud to serve these athletes. And it's going to be a really neat way to see places like Washington State be able to compete because we're going to do it with numbers. Jed Collins, you're the best. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you back on another time. Uh, let us know how it's going, but keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate your time and the opportunity, and go Cougs. There he is, former NFL fullback. I should just name the teams he, he didn't play for. Jed Collins, New Orleans Saints, and a whole bunch of other teams now uh, working on behalf of the Cougar Collective at Washington State. Uh, we leave it here. Oh, you can start lining up if you want. Our new Friday installment, yes, it's new because it's sponsored new. What's your peeve is coming up. Is something bothering you? Something on your mind? Uh, at 4.30, we're going to do what's your peeve. 503-417-7575 if you want to grab an early seat for that. You grab a line now. They'll fill up. Tell us what's bothering you on this Friday. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, uh, 
just after this break that we're going to take coming up. We will play What's Your Peeve. You can start lining up now at 503-417-7575. Grab a line if you are interested in uh, in lining up and talking to us about your, what's bothering you or what is it that is your peeve. We will do that coming up here after the break. Stephen, I want to kick this around with you first, though. Um, our guest was very careful in that segment to make sure to tell us that uh, Cameron Ward and his NIL deal came after he arrived via transfer at Washington State. We know, wink, wink, nod, nod around the country, that that's not always the case. Even though everybody's going to say, hey, they got the deal after they went to school, we know that's not the case in, in some, at some universities. And we know that anytime you have money and you follow the money, you're going to find corruption. Would it be better if the rule was you could just offer what you could offer and the coaches could be involved and because individual states like like Jed pointed out Jed Collins our guest individual states are going to pass laws that allow the uh, that allow the collectives to give deals to students who are you know incoming freshmen and and, and if that playing field's not level and everybody's not playing the same free agency game it gets a little gets a little wonky yeah I mean that yeah, we've talked about this. The best case scenario is to have one level playing field. I just don't know how that's going to come about because some of these schools have more money than others. And so if I'm Alabama or if I'm Oregon, I don't want to play on the same level as Washington State, right? I want to use my money to my, my advantage, and I want to be able to offer these guys as much money as I possibly can to get them to come to my school and be, you know, hopefully get to the college football playoff or get a national title. So I, I agree. I think it should be. There's got to be some type of thing. There's got to be regulations on this because, or else it's going to end up into the wild, wild west. And we're all just going to see these massive deals to get these players. And then what happens when these players don't live up to expectations, right? You know, there's always been the, the rumor of how much uh, Jordan Addison got at USC. Well, if he doesn't perform, are those people that gave him that money, are they going to be mad? Are they going to be looking to get money back because they didn't play well? Like, there has to be some type of regulations on this or else it's going to just be pandemonium. Yeah, I think you're going to need – you're going to either need college – see, the problem is the NCAA. The NCAA – let's just come back and let's – let's. we should line Mark Emmert up and everybody gets to throw a water balloon at him. Like, it's – the whole country should throw a water balloon at him because it's just – he is – the NCAA should have been in front of this. It's It's sinful that the NCAA didn't regulate this. They were so focused on blocking it in the Alston case and – they just put all of their, you know, they doubled down all in on, hey, we're not going to let the, the gate open. Once the gate opened, they had no regulation in place. The states enacted their own rules. The players now are pushing, 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 and there is no regulation. There is no level playing field. And, uh, you know, I, I believe the Cougar Collective when they say we're about retention. That's a smart play. Like, instead of developing players and then having them jump in the portal and go other places, Washington State's going to go, look, if you come here and you're a three-star guy and all of a sudden you put on 40 pounds and you become an NFL prospect and you would have been a four- or five-star guy and you know you could jump in the portal and you could go somewhere else or we could reach into our pocket and we could make it worth your while to stay here. I like that angle, but we all know damn well there's going to be some schools in the SEC and the Big Ten that are going to go, hey, boosters, there's a uh, five-star offensive tackle for a million bucks we can have them. And it's turned into glorified free agency. 
I mean, it is free agency. Yeah, I mean, what would stop Oregon at that point to be like, hey, Washington State has a good left tackle. Oh, we lost our left tackle this year. Yep. We need to go and get one, right? Like, that is the thing. And back to the NCAA, like, it's a classic case of being reactive rather than proactive, right? That's all they've done is they were so reactive to all this news, and now they're so far behind. It's it's troublesome. It is, and I'm worried about where it ends up. It, we'll talk more about this on another day, but – it's a good listen. If you missed it, grab the podcast of it. Sean's working on it now. Coming up, what is your peeve? I want you to line up. Anna's going to join us and share her peeve. I want to know your peeve on this beautiful Friday. Tell me the one thing that is kind of stuck in your craw. 503-417-7575. Grab a line now. <laughs> Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, over the years, the show has uh, had a lot of different facets. We're like one of those jewels you hold up in the lights, and it kind of just sparkles all over the room. Kind of. Uh, we, uh, we've done some different things on this show. We started talking... Uh, a couple of months ago about, you know, hey, what bothers you or what's your peeve or, you know, what bugs you? And people called in and we made it a segment. We did it, you know, a couple Fridays in a row. And then, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, advertising marketing people at the station said, you know, we might have a sponsor for that segment. And and lo and behold, we are now here officially on the first Friday of what's your peeve. And I want you to line up right now. If you have something bothering you, something on your mind, what is it that bothers you? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it something to do with the world of sports or not? It doesn't really matter. You can share that in this segment. What I want you to do, ideally, is to go into the weekend with nothing on your chest. Get it off your chest right here on this radio program and know that by doing so, you may be helping the world. There may be somebody out there that is guilty of contributing to your peeve that can correct that behavior. Or it may be... um, Somebody hears it and goes, you know, I don't feel so bad for also being bothered by that. Uh, 503-417-7575 is the number. Cue it up, Stephen. Let's go. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Well, here we go. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. I love the vibe. This is very much like we're in a lounge. It's kind of like, it's not, what's your peeve? It's, hey, yo, what's your peeve, man? What's bothering you? Come on, bro. Just tell me. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Let's go around the room first, and then we will go to the phone lines. But you know what? Maybe I should go to the phone lines first. Because Anna is on line 12, and she's normally right here in studio. Anna, welcome to the show. What's your peeve, and why are you calling in and not in person? Oh, I mean, I would be there in person if I weren't stuck in traffic. My peeve is, it's not the traffic itself. I'm not normally somebody who lets my blood boil over something like that because it's not something I can control except for leaving earlier on a Friday afternoon. But my peeve is specifically the person who gets in the fast lane and goes 65 when there is no other car in front of them 
for about a mile. I don't understand it. And I don't want to be like the jerk that is tailgating them, flashing them with my headlights to be like, why are you in the fast lane going 65? But it's maddening. I don't, I don't get it. Why? Why do you do that? Why? I don't, I, that's my piece. Uh, there you go. Guys, do you have a response to uh, Anna's peeve as she's stuck in traffic? <laughs> is, is that just an Oregon thing? Because I feel like it is. When I, when I drove Uber, I got a lot of people telling me, like, you know what? Don't drive like a normal Oregonian. Like, go faster. <laughs> it might very well be. Because if you talk to people from other places, it may just be a Northwest thing. I don't want to just say it's Oregon. And, like, I grew up here, so I can say these kind of things. I don't see that happening when you go to California. You don't see it on the East Coast. I don't know about the Midwest. Somebody's going to have to, like, tell me about the Midwest. And maybe, some, you know, somebody can tell me about the South. But maybe, maybe it is just an Oregon thing. But if it's an Oregon or a Washington thing, I just don't get it. It's the it's the uh, yeah. laid back thing, right? It just goes with the vibes of this whole segment. You know, just let's lay back. Let's just go slow. It, uh, I'm I, not laid back. I'm really fired up. <laughs> and that person, I don't care if you want to go 65, go 65, go into the middle lane or go in the right lane. But why are you in the fast lane? Like park like at 65, like you're in cruise control. I think what you're saying is stay in your lane. Yeah. There you Telling go. people to get in your lane and stay in your lane if you're. Nice. I, I did find people in the Midwest, when I was living and working in the Midwest, I did find that small-town people in the Midwest had the same issue. They were not in a hurry. And the, granted, they live in a world where they were still going into the bank to make their deposits, and they were just not in any hurry. And I, and I thought, gosh, man, these people have nowhere to go. What's the issue? Because I was used to California driving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Right. So that's, right. that's good. That's good anecdotal evidence of the Midwest. There you go. All right. I'm going to let you get back to your traffic, okay? Okay, thanks. All right. Thanks for sharing your pee. Do you feel better? No, I don't. I'm gonna, maybe, maybe there's a delayed reaction, and it'll be cathartic in about 60 seconds once I hang up. All right, go ahead and uh, hope you find your catharsis. There's Anna calling in. That opens a line at 503-417-7575. Share your peeve. We want to hear it. I want to hear it. Sean, start with you. Go, your peeve. Oh, man. If I have several peeves, does that make me a uh, a grump? You know, someone no. that no. Just, I have several peeves that I could go to. Uh, you can my, save them up. My left, knee is, my left knee is certainly a peeve. It just refuses to heal. Uh, but my, my peeve this week is, uh, Adobe actually mm. Adobe, Adobe makes great products. Um, you know, Photoshop and audition and premiere, like great products, but they have a, they have a charging problem. I have tried probably at least three times to, to cancel my Adobe, um, from my student discount that I had when I was back in college. And even though I continually try to cancel it, and I feel like I've canceled it at least three times, every time I go to my bank account, I notice Adobe has charged me more money. So I noticed that today. I freaked out, you know, and I used, like, my very little free time that I have in between jobs to uh, call Adobe, and they stalled. Like, I was like, yo, like, I have canceled this months ago. Several times I've canceled this, and yet I'm still getting charged, and they stalled. Like, I was on the phone for 30 minutes with customer service with Adobe. You could tell he was just stalling, trying not to give me my refund, and I uh, wasn't having it. So, I think Adobe's great, provides great services, but they, uh, they're they professionals at uh, charging you for, for no real oh, reason. Oh, I hate that. I hate that, and then when you try to call in, 
anytime you try to call in, you got an issue. I don't care if it's an airline or a credit card company or if it's a gym membership. If you're trying to get money back, they do not make it easy. Not well, well, let me transfer all. you to the manager. Then the manager transfers you to the sales <laughs> yeah, they, team. They put me on hold. I, you know, you put your phone on speaker. You wait for it to get off hold, and then, yeah, it's like, oh, I, I can help you. They they use the customer service tone, you know, in the lines, like, oh, like so sorry to hear that. We can certainly help you with that. And then they collect like your whole life story. It's just, uh, it's not fun. Customer service uh, is another one of, well, I'm not, like I kind of work in customer service, my other gig, but, uh, you know, just some some customer service people are another, you never want to call customer service. It's never fun to do that. Let me just say You know that. what? I, I always tell people when I'm on those calls, I'll say to the rep, and I'm probably just speaking to myself, I'll say to the rep, it's not your fault. I'll say that right up front. Hey, this isn't your fault, but... Here's the issue I'm having. And I feel like when I say it's not your fault, sometimes it disarms them because they're used to getting yelled at. And I'll go, hey, I know this isn't you. You had nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. But I see a charge on my account. And, and, and I feel like that – and it reminds me, too, that the person I'm on the phone with is just – it's somebody working. And often those customer service issues, why do they happen? Because companies will dedicate their resources to generating revenue. So they'll have their sales staff – readily available but their customer service staff to that it's available to give refunds or mm. fix problems and it's one person so it's uh, you know i often am reminded of that but man it's just like insurance companies you know they don't make it easy for you to get uh, money back or get an insurance claim filled and there's business in that i i my uh, my strategy is i always have to have the speakerphone but i have my kids like start talking in the background i'm like hey shut up back there and then they get they feel bad for me and then they like yes. just kind of get down to business <laughs> And you're right. I was probably a little stern. I was just frustrated. You know, it's it's you're totally right. You should never be mad at the customer service person. Um, it's it's similar to the conversation we had, I think, last week about you were at the restaurant and you noticed that person that was yelling at the waitress. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, like you kind of you kind of lose your cool. You go to your bank account, you notice a charge, and you're you're very frustrated. So I was stern, but at the same time, I was thankful that he he helped me after a while. Yeah, but you know, I, I think there are cases where you can be upset at customer service people, like if they're just being idiots and they're not listening to you. Or I, I do think you can get you're allowed to be frustrated by them. But yeah, he didn't speak great English, so the communication was a little tough between us for 30 minutes. Man, so it was hard. a little frustrating. 30 but not, minutes, not his fault. That's hard. Yeah, it, that's and, a hardcore again, like, interaction. I get, <laughs> from, I, you know, I from 12 to 1 is kind of my free time, and then after I get home from this job. So, yeah, I was like, could have gotten a quick workout in, could have done a lot of things, right? But uh, customer service instead. I would have just paid the 15 bucks. I would, whatever. Yeah, I start to think, <laughs> what's your hour worth at that point? Uh, Steven, what's your pave? Okay, so especially this week, and it happened yesterday again. And my kids, they lose the controller for the TV every second of the day. And I've told them to put it in a certain spot when they're done. And I literally can never find it. So we have a backup one that's broken because, well, they're kids and they broke that one. But it still kind of works. But it's just not as good. And so, you know, when the kids go to bed, the wife and me are trying to watch TV. I'm trying to just flip. And I can't even do it because the controller is lost. And we have to use the backup. I was just, I was so mad. And I just blamed, I blamed her for it because she was around the kids at the time. So I said, <laughs> I said, it's your fault, wife. You know, you were around the kids. It's your fault. But I know it's the kids. And then we ask him where it is, and he's like, oh, I had to hide it from my brother. I'm like, well, why did you have to hide You didn't have to hide it. Like, just you're older than him. Just don't give him the controller. Oh, it just it drives me nuts. I, yeah. I, I specifically made a spot for it. They don't listen to me, John, and I just hate it. It's, uh, you, know what, you, need, you know what I did? I put one of those tile attachments on the remote, mm-hmm. and, that, and then that way I can beep it. 
Yeah, I we've debated on putting like an air tag on it so we can yeah. track it on the phone. Yeah, just we haven't done it, and it just drives me absolutely insane because I finally get through the day. The kids are in bed. I just want to relax and watch TV, and I don't even know where the control <laughs> yeah. is. And I, it's just like, I, you know what? I do the I work all day, and then I can't even come and watch TV. Come on, kids. Me and my friends yeah. in, back in college used to have, do a remote stick where we got this big log, and we put every remote we taped, we glued every remote <laughs> to the stick, and we never lost it that way. That's a good. That's a good way to do it. You can just glue it to one of the kids, and that way you can always find it. All right, here's my peeve. And if you want to share yours, you can line up now at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Okay, we you go to a movie, and the movie says, "Hey, the movie's starting at seven o'clock." Why doesn't the movie ever start at seven o'clock? Why are they padding in twenty minutes of previews and not giving you the actual kickoff time of the movie? They. If they did this at sporting events, we'd be up in arms. Why can they get away with this at a movie? Why can they tell us the movie starts at 7.20, and then we go to the movie, we get in, you're in there at 7.20, and it's Maria Menudos, and it's some advertising, and then it's a bunch of previews, and by the time the movie starts at 7.40, you have a... You have to think like a movie executive and go, okay, they're going to play 20 minutes of previews. We could be 20 minutes late. Like, literally, why do they do that to us? We, they don't do that in any other facet of our lives. Restaurant reservation, it would never fly. Hey, you arrive, but you're not going to eat for 20 more minutes. We're going to sit you. It would never fly in a football game. Hey, kickoff's at 7, but really we're going to do 20 minutes of advertising before kickoff. It bothers me that the movie theaters act like they're a doctor's office. They, they say to you the movie's at 7, and you go at 7, or you go at 6.55 in a rush, and you know damn well that movie's not starting for 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, and to go off time, my wife just took her car in, and they're like, oh, yeah, it'll be done in 30 minutes. An hour and a half later, it's done. It's like, don't even tell me a time. Just say, yeah, we're working on it. So I agree with you. Like, don't tell me it's at 7.20. Just say 7.30-ish. You know, just give me an ish at the end, and I'm fine with it. Like, just don't be specific if you're not going to be honest. It happens with airline flights, too. We were on an airline. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll be 30 minutes. We got. It's like another hour. Well, we're going to get off the plane now. It's like, no, just don't tell me anything. Just say, I don't know. It's the same thing with concerts, right? You show up to a concert, and yes. like if it's at 7 o'clock, you get the openers at 7 o'clock, and then the main event doesn't start till like, 9. And Blazer games, too. Blazer games be like, oh, start at 7. Well, you know it started at 7. You, you know what's right on time every time? Soccer games. And I'm not a big soccer fan, but if that game is at 12 o'clock, they start it right at 12 o'clock. Yeah, they do it with football and baseball. First yeah. pitch, 704. The, the NFL, know, yeah. I mean, red zone, every game is on at the same time. It's television yeah, related. Games. They have to. They have to because of the TV kickoff. And they ha MLS has to do it because of TV times. And so I'm left with movies going, why do you get to act like you're a doctor? You don't have a PhD. You're, doing a, you're putting on a movie. This is, you know, it's ridiculous. And I get it. They want us to get there and watch their ads. But, you know, why not just say, hey, the previews start at 720. The movie actually starts at 740. Because, you know what, here's the other thing that happens. Let's say we have a babysitter. Like, I know the movie time is like one hour and 38 minutes or whatever it is. I can't, I got to I gotta try to think like a movie executive to tell the babysitter what time we're going to be home. Like, it, it creates problems. I'm, I'm ticked off at the movie industry. I think you're right. I think you're on something. Maybe they just do previews start at this time and they don't tell you when the movie starts so you kind of know like okay it's probably going to be 15 minutes whatever but i know the previews start at 7 20 because some people like to get there for the previews i know that's a thing yeah i some people do like the previews i don't i don't want to i see don't either they show us too much of the movie now that's another peeve they show us too much of the movie when you go to see the previews like i i watch the whole damn movie and i <laughs> i want to i want a teaser all the good want, parts too yes
And then you see the movie after, and you're like, oh, I saw the whole movie in the preview. That, that was all the good stuff. All the comedy ones, it's all the good jokes are in the preview. And then you've seen all the jokes when you start the movie. It's like, oh, cool. I'm the caller. But, I already know all the good jokes. Let's be real. Like, the, the best part about the previews is that roller coaster. You know, uh, what is it? The, uh, the little roller coaster <laughs> yeah, right before? Anna does, yeah, Anna's embarrassing. She, does, she pretends like she's riding it. She <laughs> leans left, leans right, le- you know, leans back. And I'm like... I'm embarrassed because the whole theater's looking at her like she's having a seizure in the middle of the theater or well, something. That's my peeve is people in movie theaters, too, kicking <laughs> on my seat, riding roller coasters. There was a guy in the last movie I was in, the guy behind us, there, he was there alone. And now I don't knock that. I've been to a movie alone. I'm traveling, whatever. But he was laugh out loud alone. Like he was laughing and commenting like he had someone with him. And I turned around at one point, and I was like, he's alone. This is really kind of strange. Like, he, I felt like he was talking to me. Like, you know, he was, he was going, oh, that's so funny. You know, oh, I can't believe that. Like, who are you talking to? Like, I don't mind you laughing, but who are yeah, you talking to? That's kind of sad. Is it sad? Yeah, I mean, if he's trying to, if he's talking to himself, like, as if he wants to, like, you, you know, you'd think he wants to be next to someone if he's making comments. I should have invited him down, told him to sit next to me. Yeah, if you were that. both alone, that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, I went and I saw a movie. I was in uh, San Antonio covering the NBA Finals years ago. And I went to see, like, Saw 2 because it was the only movie playing. It was the off night. The teams weren't playing. And I'm in the theater alone by myself, and this other guy comes in alone. It's Grant Hill who came in by himself to watch the movie. I thought that was kind of cool that me and Grant Hill saw Saw 2 together. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, if you missed today's show, if you weren't here at the beginning, you missed uh, an opening segment that was very spirited. I talked about the first time I covered a sporting event. I was 13 years old. Grabbed the podcast. I'm not going to get back into the story, but I also wrote it at johnconzano.com. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, if you want to subscribe there, grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription, do what works for you. You get it in your email inbox every day as I'm writing. Uh, Anna has apparently made it through traffic because she appeared in this very studio. Uh, how was that for you? Were you listening to the show on the radio while you were driving? Uh, Kind of, yeah, here or there, yeah. What do you yeah. mean here or there? You should be locked in all the time. I know. I don't, I'm not going to lie. Favorite station one. You should be locked in there. It is locked in, but sometimes I throw in a podcast. You, just, you know. You know, you know really? Yeah. Well, really? the question we all want to know is, did traffic get better after complaining about it? <laughs> uh, no. It got worse. It got worse. But my attitude was better. <laughs> so... Maybe it does work. Maybe this what your peeve, what's your peeve thing does work uh, in releasing the irritation that is within you. Sounds like, like we did our job. Was it the yeah. 205? Or what, uh, what road? Was, I think it was on 5. It was, uh, it was on 5. Yeah. It was on 5. I, I Tra- Friday. You're on Friday, 5 o'clock. I know. What are you I doing? Know. I know. Uh, what happened is that I did the thing where you leave the house and yeah. then you have to go back to the house. Oh. For me, I went back twice. Mm. For things that I forgot, and uh, I can never. Am I the only one that is like that? Where I can never no. just leave the house on that's the first. That's my. That's chance? actually my other peeve. You leaving the house <laughs> and boomeranging back. That's my other peeve. The five at five is coming up. I want you to leave it here. Five biggest things going on in the world of sports. That is all next 
right here on the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. I don't know what that's about when you leave the house and you're going somewhere and you forget something and you have to circle back. I I don't know what it's about because Anna does it every time. I'm surprised on the few occasions when she doesn't circle back with something that she forgot. On those occasions, I still have forgotten something. I'm just opting not to bring it up because then I have to hear about it from you. I just stomach it. I just swallow it and go, nope, I'm not, not worth it. It's not worth it. Not worth the grief. <laughs> I don't need my driver's license. I I'm going to wing it. I'm I don't just going to wing it. I don't need my cell phone. <laughs> I forgot my shoes. It's okay. I'll it's do okay. without. It's okay. He won't notice. People will think I'm Native American in the grocery store, but that's okay. I don't think you can make that joke. I can't? No, I don't. No. I'll dump it. <laughs> Sorry. You know what I meant, though. Yeah. Moccasins. Uh, no? You're not making it better. I'm not? You're not making it better. No? <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> we got the five biggest things going on in sports right here. Uh, Anna, you're going to be responsible for two of the five things. So it's going to go me, then you. Okay. Me, then you, mm -hmm. then me. So yep. you only need to remember two things here. Yep. Okay? Mm hmm Let's do this. The five. At five. Well, the Cleveland Browns say they're sticking with the plan despite the Deshaun Watson saga. He's got a six-game suspension, and the NFL is appealing that six-game su suspension, trying to get an indefinite suspension or a season-long suspension for Deshaun Watson. The Browns and Coach Stevens, uh, Kevin Stefanski told reporters today that they're waiting to see what happens with the NFL's appeal before they will alter their plan. At this point, Watson is still getting the majority of snaps with the first-team offense. Backup quarterback Jacoby Brissett is mostly working with the second team. Stefanski said, quote, we'll just kind of wait for clarity on the situation. He was speaking for the first time since the NFL announced on Wednesday that it would appeal the ruling of the six-game suspension. I think it's interesting. I, I do think the Cleveland Browns are foolish if at some point they don't move along here because they are going to at minimally be without Deshaun Watson for six weeks, probably longer if the NFL has its way. And I think the NFL will get its way. Anna, number two, go ahead. Pete Carroll back at practice after, oh, you know, a little bout with COVID. He's got the mask on. So he's cleared to be back at practice, but he's still wearing a mask to be careful he's saying that he's only missed one practice in his life and that's when his dad passed away while he was at usc he said it felt like a month he was watching live feeds of the three practices that he missed after he tested positive on sunday he said the players looked a little more fired up than when he was out there and it kind of worried him <laughs> pete carroll needs football as much as football needs pete carroll is that what he say? I guess so. Yeah. He's an older guy too. You got to be careful if you're older like that and you get the COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got it. He's one of those people that it's hard to tell how old he is. Like he looks like 
He he's looked the same for like 20 years. Yeah. How old do you think he is? Take a stab. I think he's 64. Oh, he would love that. He's 70. He's 70. 70 years old. Okay. He'll be 71 in September. Well, he looks great. M another month. Yeah. Pete Carroll. Because he's kind of had that white gray hair for a while. Yeah, he went silver fox early. Yeah, that, I'm kind of shooting for that with the bald head. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I think there'll be a time. I'm not benefiting from it right now. Uh huh. But I think there'll be a time when I'm like 80. Yeah. Where I look maybe 68ish. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because people won't know. You're you're but ageless. I'm ageless, but it's I it's a low it's a slow play for me. It's gonna come when I'm 80ish. <laughs> the long game. You've yeah. Been playing I'm, it since you were 35. <laughs> I'm playing the long game. <laughs> You know, yeah. at the senior center, they're going to be like, hey, uh, you old enough to be here? Senior center? <laughs> Anna's going to hang out at the senior center? Anna, Anna's going to be showing you off when you guys are, you know, up there at the senior center. Yeah. yeah. Look at my guy. Look well, at this young buck you know, Anna will be running back to the house to get her wallet. <laughs> I, I will be showing myself off at the senior center. Oh. I digress. Number three in our five at five. 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan is a pacifist. I'm telling you, he must be because he's drawing the line about punches thrown at practice. He halted practice for the second time uh, earlier this week, and he called for his team to huddle up, and he got mad. And he said, look, be physical, be tough, be irritating, but we don't throw punches at each other. It happened twice this week in practice. Fred War Warner, the linebacker, and Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver, were the main participants. Shanahan said today, I want everyone challenging each other. I don't care how much crap you talk. I don't care how close you get to fighting. Do whatever you want. Be as intense as you want. But once you throw a punch, you get ejected or you get a penalty. I want you to be an irritant but I don't want you to cross the line. Kyle Shanahan saying, hey, 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 enough of that. Anna, number four, go. We've never actually said that this five at five has to be about sports, no, right? No, it doesn't have to be. Well, you'll be delighted to know, or maybe not, that Kim Kardashian is single again. <laughs> Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian Check on Pete. have broken up. They're just gonna be friends. They've got lots of love and respect for each other, but, you know, distance, demanding schedules. The split occurred sometime this week. By the way, this happened just a few weeks after he got a tattoo. Like, yeah. I think they uh, both got tattoos commemorating their being with one another. That's kind of how she rolls. She makes you commit all the way, and then she's done. Chris Humphreys, come on. <laughs> Kanye, come on. I think P. she. Davidson. Maybe she got the tattoo as well. I don't know. Uh, I just don't think that's wise. Tattoos? Just, I mean, if you're with a Kardashian, should you really be getting no. permanent ink? Play the long game, like like we said earlier. <laughs> Are there any odds on who's the next boyfriend? Uh, let's see. What industry has she not hit yet? She went sports. There was Reggie Bush. Yeah. Chris Humphreys. She went music with Kanye. She Ray went J. comedian. Uh, it's going to be an actor. Mm. But he is an actor. No, it's going to be a big-time A-list actor. Uh, Bradley Cooper doing anything? Bradley Cooper's too smart to be right Is he single? I don't think so. Who's Not. the new hotshot? 
It wouldn't be Brad. It wouldn't be an established big name uh-huh. like Bradley Cooper. It'd be nah, the new hot be, shot. She likes to buy low, so high. So she's gonna. Um, <laughs> she's gonna. This is a stock to her. Who are the leading men right now in Hollywood? I don't even know. Is it okay if I Google hottest guys in Hollywood on the computer at work, or do I get in trouble? Go ahead and do it. See what happens. You just might have some interesting pop-ups for the next couple of weeks. That's all. We'll it's a work clean out that computer. Is Brad Pitt doing anything? Angelina Jolie, is that still a thing? She could go older. Uh, Brad Pitt? The Trendspotter.net has Brad Pitt as the number one sexy man right now, 2022. Still? Mm. That's what it says. There are gambling odds on this anywhere? There's got to be, right? We could open that book right now. (laughs) Ben Affleck, is he on the rebound? Yeah, he's with J-Lo. They got back together? Yeah. Uh, They're hot and heavy. That's what I was thinking. How about Joaquin Phoenix? Mm, I don't see that. Brian Gosling? Isn't he married? I'm still? just throwing out names, okay? I'm just throwing out names. Jeremy Renner. I don't know. Somebody like that. Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Ryan oh. from The Office. Ooh, ooh. How about the guy The guy we just saw the movie for? What's the guy's name? B.J. Novak? B.J. Novak. Yeah, right. She's the not going to date B.J. Novak. Is that who you said, Sean? Ryan from The Office, yeah. Yes. Okay, that's who you meant. She's not going to date B.J. Novak. Perfect. She could destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> That's no. how she thinks. She goes, who can I destroy? He's, again, too smart to get entangled with that Kardashian web. I don't know about that. I don't I don't know if anybody is that smart. She's like one of these Greek myths. Like, you know, they're gonna they're gonna make a uh, they're gonna make a story about her someday. He it's got... gonna be <laughs> you got in her proximity and you lost your mind. <laughs> you know, you couldn't remember where you were from. Pete Davidson all of a sudden wasn't funny. Kanye couldn't sing. Chris Humphreys couldn't make a basket. Like, who's next? Pete Davidson got the words Jasmine and Aladdin tattooed on himself as a tribute to how they kind of met and sparks flew. Yeah. That was only, like, three weeks ago. She's done. As soon as he got the tattoo, she was done. That's The thing with her is you got to keep her guessing. I could give whoever's going to date her the blueprint, okay? You don't. you got to make her wonder. You can't tell her, I love you, I'm yours, let me tattoo Jasmine on me. That's You're done. Don't you think Kanye kept her guessing enough? Mm, I don't think so. By the way, Kanye's on his fifth divorce attorney. Did you know that? Oh, you mean in their proceedings? Yeah. He oh. just keeps firing people. Well, imagine trying to manage him. They're not telling him what he wants to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No no money in the world is enough for that. Finally, (laughs) our fifth thing in our five at five, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. He had an appendectomy. He remains out indefinitely for the beginning of training camp. But Bengals coach Zach Taylor said... He's still involved. He's getting mental work right now. I'm interested in this mental work. Is Joe Burrow going to be dating the Kardashian? How about Zach Wilson, the, the Jets quarterback? Is Kim old enough? Yeah, he prefers he prefers a different uh, a different type of person. I think different you know generation. What I mean. Yeah, different generation. Mama, Mama, Kardashian. <laughs> I can see that. Anyway, back to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Third-year quarterback, Super Bowl quarterback, had the appendectomy. He's trying to get to training camp. They say that he is uh, engaged mentally. He's been out there with the team observing drills from a cart. 
He drove the cart across the field to end practice yesterday. And he participated in light conditioning, driving the cart alongside his running teammates. How about Joe Burrow? Let's give it up for Joe Burrow getting that cart in shape next to his teammates. It's real leadership right there. <laughs> That's being a quarterback. I wonder if the guys running are like, that's our QB. That's my QB one. That's our five at five. <laughs> so he's had COVID and he got hurt and an appendectomy. What's what's going on there? It's the Madden curse from he's, Joe Burrow. He's learned already. You don't need mini camp to, to show up for the games. <laughs> practice? <laughs> what do I need practice for? I'm Joe Burrow. All right. So what do you guys think about maybe Zach Wilson, New York Jets quarterback? With Kardashian. I'm being serious about this. It kind of fits. He's ripe. He's been in the news. He's an athlete. He's, He's a good in New York. Mormon guy. <laughs> I mean, has she, has she hit the Mormon market yet? I don't know. <laughs> you know what happens to him? Because everyone ends up ruined after dating her. So, you know what happens to him is he ends up with the Church of Scientology <laughs> after <laughs> being involved with her for a while. Yeah. No. I don't think well, she's not going to swing back to an athlete. No, is she? I think she's going no. back male leading actor. That's where it's headed. It's just t- I mean, who's gonna who's gonna go down to that level? I feel like, <laughs> like knowing that your career's over. Mm-hmm. She's got some draw, man. Reggie Bush, Chris Humphreys. There's something about well, Chris Humphreys. I mean, come on. it's a good resume at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Wish him the best. Pete Davidson, it's good to know you. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. 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 should tweet that right now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. All right, leave it here. Uh, coming up later this hour, we will do Punch It Audio. Much more ahead. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up in a bit, we'll play Punch and Audio. Earlier in the show, we had a really interesting interview with the NIL representative, president of the Cougar Collective, Jedediah Collins. Jed Collins played in the NFL for a whole bunch of teams. He is now working at Washington State as part of their collective. During the commercial break, Anna and I were, were talking about what these collectives are trying to do. And Anna, you said they're smart. What do they what do they what do you mean by that? Well, specifically what he mentioned about, you know, not having to go after the big whale who's going to donate uh, you know, six seven figures to this effort with the collective, but making use of the broad and motivated fan base of the Cougars, people who have graduated and the ability for, you know, more people, the average person to participate in hopefully what they hope is the success of their athletic department. And so it's sort of like that crowdsourcing notion or Kickstarter, that kind of idea where it's like, you know, if you can take 40,000 people who all give five, 10, 30, $50, like, and, and that that is a recurring donation that they're making on either a monthly or an annual basis, I mean, that's a win because you're broadening your fan base, you're broadening the interest and the investment that people are making into the program. They, they're literally buying in 
to what they hope is the success of that program. And if you do that model, the Netflix model, that recurring $10 a month, right? Let's say it's 40,000 people. They're giving $10 a month. You yeah. have $400,000 a month that you are collecting from your your alumni. That's $4.8 million a year, okay? Yeah. That you now have to spread over all of your athletic programs and I think they're all learning from each other because I actually think Washington State got the idea when they heard Arizona State on the show on Tuesday. Arizona State has launched their collective, the Sun Angel Collective. Mm -hmm. They have 579,000 alumni. They're going full force towards those 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 dollar a month donations from those 500,000 alumni. Washington State reached out to me, their collective reached out to me after hearing Arizona State on the show and now they're going, well, we're doing this recurring thing, too. It's coming soon. So I think the aim there is everybody feels involved, mm -hmm. and then you don't cannibalize your big gift givers that are giving the million-dollar donation to the athletic department, the $500,000 donor. Because the worst-case scenario for Oregon, Oregon State, whoever, is – you know, the Reeser family that gives money to Oregon State makes large donations. You don't want them funding the NIL part of the operation. You want them to remain loyal inside the athletic department. You don't want Phil Knight funding Division Street by himself. If you're Oregon, you want to call upon all your, your alumni to get involved. Well, yeah, because there's power in those numbers. And the thing is, you don't even have to give that much in return to the people that are buying in. Because you can... You can make them part of, you know, the super special club, right? And send them some merchandise, send them some special sticker. bumper sticker. Like, you know, it's something to note that they are part of this. And by the way, why isn't every university already doing this? Because it's been obvious from what we've seen from political campaigns that have sourced their campaign funding this way. It's been obvious from Kickstarter and other companies like it where, you know, entrepreneurs are launching startups uh, from, from this, from people who are just kind of giving out of the generosity of their heart because they believe in an idea. Uh, I mean, every every university that's engaged in NIL should already have something like this up and running. I was interested to see, that as I was looking around the conference, uh, who has them and who doesn't yet, and who hasn't really set up. And it was interesting when I reached out, like Oregon has Division Street. Yeah. Division Street has no interest in being on this radio show. They have no interest in media coverage. They are all about business. They're... I get the impression at this point, if they ever, I think, put it out there for Oregon alumni to donate $10 a month, of course, they're going to want the marketing. They're going to want the advertising. They're going to want to talk about it publicly. But right now, Division Street is hunkered down. I've reached out to them multiple times. I can't get an email back. Nothing. What are they waiting for? That's what's weird to me because it's like, are they trying to maintain some kind of elite, you know, uh, brand like the the idea that they're so elite that they don't need the media coverage yeah i think they don't want to invite the idea they're paying for players like the, the concept <laughs> uh, yeah okay. but everybody knows everybody's doing it right <laughs> um they don't really want to i think invite like even the washington state guy when he came on he was very careful to say we gave the deal to cameron ward ninety thousand dollar deal he gets an apartment he gets the use of a chevrolet truck he gets airline tickets for his parents to come to Washington State games, and he gets cash. But he was very careful to say, we did that deal after he committed to Washington State. It wasn't an inducement. So I think Division Street's probably allergic and does not want to get Oregon in trouble 
and so they're stepping back. It's just I, I don't I understand why they're doing it. But you have on the other end of the spectrum, Arizona State looked around and said, Hey, we don't have this, everybody else does, we're going after it. UCLA and USC are interesting. They outsource to third party entities that work with professional athletes that are almost like an agency that's mm-hmm. a third party. Yeah. They're not doing it in like with a former alumni running a group of donors. Mm-hmm. They're they're just saying, Hey, we're in LA, we're gonna offer our athletes to have a relationship with this agency, the agency will handle their deals. And the agency's job then is to go out and find deals for the athletes. So that's how they're doing it. It's kind of feels more corporate. Yeah. Um, Oregon State has got it's a little more charm to it. They're using like open doors or whatever that is. Right. You know, you've seen that thing. You looked at it. Yeah. And you can go on there and you can look at a variety of athletes and you can see what they'll do for a hundred bucks, fifty bucks. You know, what what are they looking for? Mm-hmm. And you get to know them a little bit. But uh, it's really interesting to see that you know they're all kind of over all over the map. Well, and what I would like to know, you kind of touched on this, is a year from now, for example, if we put a peg on the calendar and say a year from now. How is this whole thing going to affect overall university fundraising? Because you and I both know people in that world. Yeah. You know, they're called development directors. They're the people that, like, as their job, their job is to go out and find the wealthy donors who will make contributions that are significant to the universities. And so I'm really fascinated to see in a year from now how NIL will affect that kind of giving because um, I think that it, it's got to have an impact, right? I would think you are – I think the uh, athletic directors, they will never say this. They all – it's funny because they all say the same thing. They're all, this is great for the athletes. This is great. You know, everybody says that. Mm-hmm. But I think down deep they're going, this is great, but I don't want my revenue affected by this. Like I hope our donors are – the donors that are given to the NIL collective are different people. It's not the same but dollars. But that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. In the end of the day, the pie only has so many pieces in it, right? So if everybody's eating off the same pie, something's got to give there in the end. And then, and then you run into the whole donor fatigue issue as well. Because ideally you would have these entities somewhat in collaboration with the university fundraisers that are saying like, hey, we can't all be hitting up the Reeser family multiple times for multiple donations over the course of like five to ten years. There's got to be some kind of effort to develop a strategy there. We'll see how it goes. Punch and Audio is coming up. It's the best sound from all around, and we got it next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You know what's on my calendar this weekend? Yard work. And you know what? I don't mind yard work. I like being outside, being in the sun. I like, uh, you know, putting in a couple of hours in the yard and then looking back and going, hey, I made a difference. I can actually see what I did. Steven and Sean, what are you guys doing this weekend? Uh, well, tomorrow I'm going to be at Providence Park for the Timbers game, uh, working there. But then, you know, Sunday, I think I'm pretty free. I might be hanging out with my friend who just moved back from Virginia. So, uh Maybe doing that. Probably do a little bit of yard work as well. I've been really been putting that off. And I am not a fan of yard work, by the way. I, I can do a lot without of it. <laughs> do you get – okay, because you have kids. 
when you have a friend who wants to hang out, is that an easy thing for you to do, or do you have to kind of work around, you know, natural family weekend stuff? Oh, super hard. Super hard. Now, luckily for us, he just had a one-year-old, so uh, he's pretty not uh, available all the time either. So I think it may work. It may not. But, yeah. No, the kids ruin everything. <laughs> they ruin all my plans. They ruin everything. I love them, but they, they ruin all my plans. You just have to work harder to maintain those friendships, right? Yeah, you find out who your real friends are, right? It's true, because you kind of go into a cave for a couple of years, you know, when you're in the trenches when they're that young. And the people that are still around and will respond to your texts and phone calls after you emerge from the cave, those are the people that are your real friends. Yeah, you come out a completely different person. They don't recognize you. you know, they don't know anything about you. You're, you're an adult. You're a parent now. That's right. Who is this person? We talk about things like mortgages. This guy used to be doing keg stands with me. Now what is he doing? He's looking for the remote control. Now we're talking real it. estate. Speaking of, we watched The weather watched, out like, there is really hot, too. <laughs> you know. We watched uh, a documentary, or the start to a documentary, um, about Woodstock 99. I saw that on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's worth watching. We're only one episode in. But I'm, uh, I, I had low expectations when I saw it. Uh, like, I don't, I, and then when you put it on, it's about how they threw a couple of Woodstocks mm -hmm. prior to, after the original Woodstock. So Woodstock 99 was not their first attempt. To bring back Woodstock, but it looks like it's a disaster. <laughs> so keg stand is what uh, got me thinking about that because yeah. there was just a lot of that going on at Sean, Woodstock '99. Sean, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, my my good friend works at a food cart over in Forest Grove. He is a amazing cook, and when I go over there and I have a free day, he usually gives me free food. So I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna go do that tomorrow morning, and then I have another friend coming into town on Sunday, and we're gonna play some tennis, and then of course Timbers play tomorrow, uh, going for ten straight unbeaten. So I'm working the Timbers game as well. Give your friend's food food truck a plug here. Oh yeah, sure. It's um, what's it called? Bomb and ramen. Uh, it's a ramen. What? <laughs> yeah, I think it's called. I, he'd be mad at me if I messed it up. It's a ramen place in Forest Grove. It's right by Pacific University, and I'm 75% sure it's called Bomb and Ramen. But I'm I can, look, I can. I'm looking up Bomb and Robin right now on uh, Facebook. Well, that's a that's a uh, video game. And my friend's yeah. been working really hard on a uh, new ribs, like a Asian ribs recipe. And okay. Yeah, he uh, man, he gave me like twenty dollars worth of free food for free last time, or twenty dollars worth of food for free last time. It was awesome. Well, and here you are trying to plug yeah. him, but you're not yeah. sure. Yeah. Why the don't name. you get this clear? Is going well, get clear on your friend's. <laughs> The name of the food truck. Yeah. There, so there they, is a place called Bomb and Ramen in Forest Grove. Yeah, it's so. Bomb and Ramen. Bomb and Ramen. And confirmed. it's right by Pacific. So. Yeah, confirmed. Bomb and Ramen. Bomb B-A-M-E-N. Yep. Like bombing, like ramen. Like the only difference is the B and the R. That's right. Yep. All right. So Bomb and Ramen on Forest Grove. It looks like it's 1939 23rd Avenue on Forest Grove. 4.5 stars on Google. Right yeah. They do good work. 57 reviews. I'm, it's, I'm in. Are, are you guys review people? Do you, do you give reviews? Like, is that something that you work in your life? Only if it's really good or really bad. Like, only if I'm, like, over the moon about the service that I got, happy, or if I'm pissed off. I See, I'm not. I don't, I'm not going to review anything. But my wife loves to look at reviews of places mm -hmm. and see what the ratings are. And she also, going off another peeve here, just reminded me of that. She always asks, like, the, the waiters or waitresses, what they prefer on the menu. I do that. But it's like, what are they going to say? No, this meal sucks. 
Like, oh, I want the mac and cheese. Is it good? You no, it's you say, no good. You ask them, what do you eat on your break? Okay, well, uh, I still don't like it. Mm, still what do pee. you eat on your break? Because, and then, you, it, look, here's the big tell. If the server is going to take advantage of you, look at the menu. If they pick the highest price item, then they can't be trusted. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense, but I mean, I don't have the same flavor profile of everyone else. <laughs> I I used to work did at a restaurant. Flavor I know. I did. I, I did. Wow. Uh, but here's like here's hard. what I used to do. I when I worked in a restaurant in college, and somebody would ask me that. I worked at this place. We had chicken. The chicken wasn't very good, and I would tell people, you know what? I would say quietly. I'd lean in and I'd say, "Don't order the chicken." <laughs> and they loved you for it because yeah. they they felt like they were getting like pick the sixth horse in the fourth race. I just feel like every time she's ever asked, every time she's ever asked, she's like, "Oh, is this any good?" They say, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Well, what do you expect mm -hmm. him to say?" I I, I guess you're, 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 the, you're the one honest guy. You're the one yeah. honest person that says, "No, the chicken sucks." <laughs> Don't order the chicken. <laughs> I didn't work there very long, so that's maybe that's <laughs> like, yeah, John, get out of here. <laughs> this guy, look at this guy. Who's how come nobody orders the chicken? <laughs> like, you know? When John's working, we have so much chicken. Some of that. Nobody orders the chicken. Um, I I uh, I have a Yelp account, but I don't. I have it under an alias because I don't <laughs> want Yelp. I have a burner. I don't want my like for people to view it as a public endorsement of them, mm. or I don't want them. I don't want my review to have any more impact than anybody else's review. Is what I'm trying to say. Like so, what I I do kind of do what Sean does. If I am really moved, I will give a review. And if I'm really pissed off, I will give a review. <laughs> and so there's no in-between. So I have a whole bunch of – when I go to sign in there every once in a while, I get, do you want a review? And it's like all these places I've been that are just okay. And I'm like, no, I don't want to give three stars. I'm, I'm giving five stars or I'm giving one. No in-between. I'm just saying I've seen the posts. Don't ever get on John's bad side <laughs> as a restaurant because <laughs> that English major and his writing I carve like, him up. craftiness. I carve him up. He does write for a living, and yeah. he just slays them. Well, I, we went to one place. I'll, just, I'll give you an example, okay? We went, I was with my friend who had cancer, and he wanted to have, as kind of his dying wish, he wanted to have a get-together with his close friends. Mm -hmm. So we go to this place. It's in the Bay Area. And we get a table for like five. It's a Russian restaurant. I don't know why he wanted to go to a Russian restaurant. But he, that was his choice. So we get, I this, don't know this, story. We get this table. Mm -hmm. My friend Randy. Yeah. And Randy's the nicest human being in the world. He is. Same like. Yeah. He was. You know, I know Randy's in heaven. Like, I know that. Yeah. You know? So Randy uh, was dying. And he said, you know, I want to go to dinner with you. And it was me and a couple other sports writers. He was a, a copy editor and an assistant sports editor at the San Jose Mercury News. Mm -hmm. So it was like four or five of us at this restaurant. It was bittersweet because we were having a great time. But it was also sad because we knew this was probably the last time we're going to get to dine with him. Yeah. And the server was rushing us. Yeah. Like trying to turn the You table. could tell it was a Friday or a Saturday night. They were trying to get rid of the table. I got up and I pulled the server aside and I said, hey, he's got cancer. He's dying. This is a meal among friends. Mm -hmm. I am happy to tip you. I am happy to keep ordering drinks, order whatever. We're going to be a while. Eventually, that server went and told on me. So the manager came over 
and now I'm talking to the manager off to the side, and she's Russian. Yeah. And she's saying, we have reservation on that table. Oh. Uh, in 15 minutes, we need you to be to wrap it up. I see. And we weren't, like, slow. Yeah. But they were going, wrap it up. Like, they were giving us the rap sign for the Oscars. They were playing the music. And I was like, we, can you move us to another section of the restaurant? Can you put us in the yeah. bar? Can reasonable. you do? I was trying to be reasonable. Right. Can we sit in the alley? Is it okay <laughs> if I sit in the alley and gnaw on a corn on the cob or something? Like, can you give me a cup of coffee? You know, and they pushed us out. And mm. Randy was visibly upset by it. Yeah. And it pissed me off. Yeah. And I remember Bud Geraci, who is the sports editor at the Mercury News now, Bud was yelling, Bush League! This is Bush League! As we were getting kicked out of the restaurant. Okay? <laughs> so my whole review is on how Bush League this restaurant mm -hmm. is, how minor league it is. So mm -hmm. I wrote all about it. I was pissed at the time. You sure, you sure yeah, have. Yeah. Second, second review that I remember doing something like that with. Yeah was we went to this fancy schmancy wine bar mm -hmm. and it was littered with cougars <laughs> like zach, Wilson zach cougars? wilson's kind of place yeah that kind of cougar and okay. give us the sound of a the, the nature cougar I, it's on record somewhere. no no come on do it have you guys heard anna do the cougar no but i'm really intrigued now. okay here you go anna this is anna channeling marlon perkins I don't like King this. King Wildlife. I don't like this. Come I'm on. having performance anxiety. All right, give it. Give mm -hmm. us the cougar. All right. Here we go. Wow! Okay, that's the cougar. Solid. But that's not the kind of cougar that was in this wine bar. <laughs> the cougar in this <laughs> wine bar had on acid wash jeans. She had had some work done, big hair. She was hunting, <laughs> okay. like, and there were a pack of them everywhere there's gazelles everywhere yes and you know what the wine bar had done it had hired a bunch of like 22 23 year old guys who looked like ryan gosling mm -hmm. and i so my review was not all that disparaging of the food or the drink but come for the scenery this is what you're going to see you're going to see a bunch of late 30s 40s maybe even some 50s krugers hunting and prowling and hey credit to this restaurant for hiring a bunch of boy toys to serve because <laughs> you gotta know your audience this is working but i you know and i get a lot of people going hey that's funny hey that's funny i just you know that's me but if you if you serve me like average c plus food c plus service i'm hungry i'll eat it not memorable at all i'm not wasting my time with a review <laughs> it has to be notable in one way or that's the like other. sean it's exactly like sean <laughs> Sean relates to Yeah, me. I mean, the two reviews that I remember doing pretty recently are both apartments. One I had a really bad experience with, and then I shared the story about how they moved, like, my new apartment, the one I work live at right now, they moved me to a new apartment, and I wrote them a nice review. There you go. See? Way to spread the love. He doesn't mess around. You mess, you, you, you mess with Sean, you get, the, you get the horns of his review. Uh, Adobe might get a bad one for that, for that <laughs> charge I got today. To hell with that Adobe right now, charging people. Who do they think they are? <laughs> All right, leave it here. We, we have Punch It Audio coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. It's been a fantastic show with great guests. Uh, Mike Burrell of the Seattle Times joined us. In hour one, really good interview. I really encourage you to get the podcast of it. 
If you haven't, uh, if you didn't hear it live, he was great talking about the quarterbacks at Washington, talking about Kalen DeBoer in his first season, talking about what it was like to grow up as a triplet. Yes, he was a triplet. Uh, I don't know many triplets. Uh, we talked to him about that. Plus, he covered Notre Dame as a beat reporter. Great stuff with Mike Farrell in hour one. Hour two, Jed Collins joined us, former NFL player and the president of Washington State's Cougar Collective. Uh, he talked about retaining athletes, the deal that Cameron Ward got at Washington State, NIL, all of that. If you're interested in college athletics, that is a great listen. Two really good interviews today. Two really good guests. We'll have more big guests coming up next week. Uh, we always do. We're locking in on college football in particular. But in this segment, I want to play Punch It Audio. It is the best sound from all around. We got it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. We're all struggling with college football and changes. Michael Wilbon, Washington Post columnist and ESPN host, he talked about the dilemma he's having. Bowl games at the beginning of the season, transfer portal. What are we talking about, Wilbon? Punch it. I'm a, I'm a booster. I, I, I'm a season ticket holder. I, I care about this stuff and the tradition of it. I, I don't even want Maryland and Penn State in the Big Ten to me. I ignore them. They're not really Not Penn State. Rutgers. You don't want Rutgers. You want Rutgers, Penn State. Rutgers, Maryland, right. and Penn State. I don't want any of them. Oh, and Penn State. I okay. like UCLA okay. and USC because we have a relationship with them through the Pac-12. And it's weird. But I admit to my weirdness. And I thought as soon as I read all this stuff this morning and last night, I thought I hated it. And then, Tony, I realized, oh, wait, on my phone is my e-ticket to Ireland in August to go see Northwestern play Nebraska in Dublin. So while I can sit here and say to you, I hate it, I'm participating willingly in just the thing that I am communicating to my own school leaders and to Big Ten people that I know. I hate this. There are other things in life that get in the way, like going back to school. I don't want this. Oh, wait, I'm going to Ireland to watch a game. Wilbon's speaking for a lot of people. I think myself included. Like, it's inevitable that we all want change we want college football playoff expansion that's change by by definition we want the playoff to go from four teams to a more inclusive 12 teams or 16 teams we we want a real playoff but at the same time we don't want the major college conferences and the tradition and the loss of the bowl season i mean we're in a dilemma by definition there's no good answer i am hopeful that david shaw Stanford coach, Pac-12 Media Day, he said he thinks geography will win out, ultimately. He thinks there's a reason why conferences were Southeastern Conference, the Pacific Coast Conference or Pacific 10 Conference was the western part of the United States, the Big East. He thinks there's a reason why those conferences had geography at their core. He hopes that wins out. I, I hope we can find some common ground where like the Pacific time zone doesn't get disenfranchised, alienated, told you don't matter. That's where I think we are right now. That's what that really bothers me. Brady Swinson, 
is sky high on the Oregon Ducks. Why? Here's why. I don't know. It's just it's crazy. Like, I ain't never been on a team, like, with this much talent. Like, never been on a team with this much talent. It's amazing. Like, and they're all hungry. Like, in Coach Lennon, like, got all of us in the mindset to where we have something. Like, we, it's all about, like, what's your why? Everybody had their own why. But, like, with our teammate that just passed, like, now we all have a why that's, that's for each other. Like, since they came in, the team has gotten way closer since Coach Lennon came in. Uh, we bonded more, like, bonded more than we ever have since I've been here. And uh, it's just, ever since he got here, everything's just been changing. And, like, it's been a great change. Look, he's he's been a player at Oregon, and he's still a young player. As a freshman, he played in 11 games, second-year freshman. Had 24 tackles, 14 solo tackles. This is a kid from the state of Georgia, Douglasville, Georgia, playing defensive end for a coordinator who's coming to Oregon from Georgia. Braden Swinson is giddy. Said he hasn't been on a team with this much talent, ever. Let's see it. I want to see it. Is Oregon going to be a nice surprise? Hope so. Kyle Shanahan, 49ers coach, talking about Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo. What's the noise about, coach? Punch it. Um, I mean, I think it was that, you know, I, I think the reality everyone knew. Um, so, so why go against it? You know, everybody it's, on the team, you mean? No, I think everyone in the country. Okay. Um, you know, it's, you know, Trey's known that for a while. Okay. Our team's known it for a while. You know, hear their quotes in the offseason, watch them go through OTAs. It, it was never an issue in here. Yeah. Um, people knew it was going to go that way. Um, but you, you want to have an opportunity to trade someone. And then once that surgery happened, once all the musical chairs kind of filled up and stuff, and you go to this spot, it, it just, I keep saying it, but it is what it is. You know, J Jimmy had that surgery and he needed to get it. He's doing great now, but there was a window he missed. And we went through the whole offseason, OTAs and everything. Our team understood it. Trey understood it. You get to training camp, and we all know the situation now, which I've explained. Um, but I thought it was time to clear it up for everybody else. So um, they understood that what we've already known in this building. What the 49ers are doing this offseason is interesting. They they could have potentially had a tremendous distraction with Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback scenario. They have managed it remarkably well to this point. Second thing, Debo Samuel appeared to be ready to hold out. And instead, he quietly agrees to a three-year contract extension, $71.5 million, $58 million guaranteed, and suddenly the Niners look like, like everything has fallen into place. Meanwhile, Trey Lance telling reporters today at practice that the game has slowed down for him. Don't sleep on the Niners. And Trey Lance probably feels really good about coming into a situation where he doesn't have to carry a team. Ian Rappaport talking about the latest in the Deshaun Watson case. Makes sense of this. Punch it. Yeah, the former Attorney General from New Jersey, Peter C. Harvey, who has, uh, of course, had a deep uh, expertise in criminal law, including sexual assault. Remember, this is not a neutral arbitrator. This is not Sue L. Robinson, the former federal judge, who had dealt uh, Deshaun Watson his original six-game suspension. This is a designee of Roger Goodell and someone, of course, the league is extremely familiar with. It is not just that he has deep expertise in domestic violence and sexual assault. It is also that he helped shape the NFL's personal conduct policy and served as an advisor for the league on the Ezekiel Elliott investigation several years ago, so he will decide uh, the eventual and final punishment for Deshaun Watson, and it is going to be final as the league reiterated yesterday. As far as the timing of this, Tom, the NFLPA has until today, I believe at the close of business, to respond to this and file a brief or, or whatever they are going to submit, 
and then the uh, final results should be determined on an expedited basis. So likely you will hear the final and firm Deshaun Watson suspension. The league, of course, pushing for a year. We'll see uh, what it ends up being. We will hear that next week. And then, of course, remains to be seen how the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson will react. I think it's interesting that this isn't a neutral arbitration, as Rappaport pointed out. Roger Goodell had the right to even become the arbitrator himself under the collective bargaining agreement. This is going to be very one-sided. I think this is going to be a bit of a tug-of-war because the NFL saw the public reaction to to Deshaun Watson getting just six games as his suspension. It wasn't enough. Public didn't like it. The market isn't going to lie. The NFL had to push back. They are pushing back. I expect at some point, you know, Deshaun Watson and his camp, after the NFL slaps him with a season-long suspension, he'll he'll uh, he'll sue. Uh, this isn't this isn't close to being over. And it'll be interesting to see what Deshaun Watson, what options he has available to him in the end. That's Punch It Audio. Peter Sampson's coming up top of the hour with the pulse. Peter Sampson. Throw a headset on. Tell us what you have coming up. What are you going to talk about? Yeah, we're going to continue our uh, Pac-12 uh, team previews. We're moving to the North Division. Uh, Got to talk a little bit of baseball. Post-trade deadline, there's a team that I think needs to blow it up, even though they don't want to pull the trigger. And it's Friday. John, I've been doing this new thing. What's in your glass? People send me, look, 6 o'clock on a Friday. If you can't have an adult beverage, then when can you? People send me what they're drinking all around the community. We're going to play that as well. All right, leave it here for the Pulse and Peter Sampson. You're always good, Peter, and I've, I've been really enjoying the team previews as you go through now the North Division. So college football season's coming. What's in your glass? Peter Sampson's got you covered coming up here uh, at the top of the hour. I want everybody who's listening to the show to have a great weekend. We are back next week. Give the podcast a listen. Share it liberally, and have a great weekend, everybody.